Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Well, I beefed up the other day. I did. Mm-hmm. I like to own my mistakes. I do. I need to apologize to America's team. I repeatedly said that Arkansas was 0-3 in SEC play, and I somehow forgot that the South Carolina game happened. And for that, I just feel the need to address the people and say I'm going to be better. I'm not making excuses, but if I were to make an excuse, I would say that it was probably the byproduct of sleeping four and a half hours after watching 16 hours of football. But I'm not here to make excuses, nor am I here to make mistakes. So Arkansas faithful, I apologize. Your team has won an SEC game. Yes. We got it out there. All right. We're good. You have beaten Marcus Satterfield. Yes. Join the club. Well, Kentucky's not in their club. Um, <laughs> but yes, we have a great show day. Great, great show lined up. Our new friend, Katie George, is going to join us in a little bit. We're also going to talk spooky season and figuring out. And of course, fantastic, awesome week seven slate to break down a lot of Bama, Tennessee talk, of course. But first, Will, you know what I did earlier today? I have... A little bit of curry chicken salad that we have for lunch. Great recipe. Easy. You just throw it on some Dave's good bread with the that's got all like the different seeds in it. A lot love of Dave's. flavor. Yeah. Oh, the best, man. Absolutely love it. Make a little sandwich out of it. But I said, you know, I think it needs a little spice. Need a little bit of spice. Boom. Get the bottle of Texas Pete. Just douse it in there. Good to go. Sandwich improved. It is that easy. That's all you need to do. Texas Pete is automatically going to upgrade whatever meal you're going to have. Eat mm-hmm. I mean, cereal. I don't care. Put it on anything. <laughs> Texas Pete has the spice and flavor that's kicking this football season up a notch. If you haven't tried the original hot sauce or their new traditional barbecue sauce, run. Don't walk to grab yourself a bottle today. Visit TexasPete.com for recipes and hot apparel. Plus, take 20% off your entire order with promo code Saturday Down South. That is all one word Saturday Down South. Win big with Texas Pete when you sauce like you mean it. Bama, Tennessee. Oh, man. It's real. This game actually feels like it has worthy buzz. Bama's a seven and a half point favorite. The over-under I have for this one is one Jalen Milrow snap. <laughs> I'm taking the under. Interesting. I okay. I don't have a dog in this fight. I don't. And I'm wishing this into existence. I'm admitting that. All I want is for both teams to be as close to full strength as possible, right? I I don't want any sort of asterisk if Tennessee wins this game. I I don't want that because if you don't have Bryce Young out there and it's Jalen Milrow, like, all right, that kind of changes the way that we talk about the quality of win for Tennessee, what it means for Tennessee to be on this stage, all those different things. And be honest, Tennessee fans, if you're going to beat Alabama, you know, you want to do it without any sort of caveat about having a backup quarterback out there, right? Like, Mm mm-hmm. Nah, probably not, actually. Who are we <laughs> I was about to say, yeah. that's not how I feel. Listen, any win against Bama is a win against Bama. Yes, you do not take those for granted. I think Bryce Young plays. I do. Mm-hmm. And, and that's based on nothing more than him basically just wearing pads last week on Saturday, telling Saban that he wanted to go into that game late. I, I'm assuming that he's going to be out there for Alabama. I am also assuming that Cedric Tillman is going to play. Josh Heupel said this week, that he had the two a tightrope procedure in hopes of being back for, ironically enough, Alabama. Mm-hmm. That's significant because our guy balled out in this game last year. He was incredible. The 70-yard touchdown that they had to start off the fourth quarter wherein Josh Heupel looked like he was going to skip his way down the sideline, that was Cedric Tillman. That was our guy. He went for 152 in this game. This was the game last year where I first felt like, all right, 
Tennessee's going to be able to actually score points against anybody. They can. <laughs> they really can. This year, there is no doubt in my mind that Tennessee can score against anyone. Number two scoring offense in the country. Number one in total offense. Number one in 40-yard plays. They face three teams who were in the top 25 at the time of the matchup. I think Hendon Hooker has a better shot at not only escaping the incredible trio of edge rushers, Will Anderson, Dallas Turner, and Chris Braswell, but also being able to make plays when he does. By the way, I saw Charlie Potter, who covers Bama for for 247. I saw he he wrote about this package that Alabama has where all three of those guys are on the field at the same time, and they Mm -hmm. call it the cheetah package, which (laughs) it feels like cheating. So I guess (laughs) cheetah package works. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense to me. I don't think you can contain the Tennessee offense for four quarters. I don't don't think you can do that. I think Tennessee is going to score more points on Bama than it has in any game since 2003, which, as we said last year, third Saturday in October, uh, that's not really saying a whole lot. Okay, Josh Heupel scores 24 points in this rivalry game, and that was the most points scored by Tennessee against Bama since 2003. Mm -hmm. So how does this play out? Tennessee finally end the streak, win this matchup for the first time since 2006. I'm really tempted to say it happens. I am. Mm-hmm. I spent part of my day on the phone with Eric Ainge, as in the last Tennessee quarterback to beat Alabama. Mm-hmm. Go figure on that. championship participant. Participant, yes. <laughs> uh, well documented. That's in a, a previous, it just meant more. Go back and listen to that podcast. Go dig into the archives. Mm-hmm. So that day, 2006, Tennessee was a top 10 team. Ainge threw three first half picks. And Tennessee has that, Connor. Yeah. um, Look, it wasn't perfect. Wasn't perfect. Definitely wasn't. He'd be the first to tell you that. Um, So Tennessee had the comeback win that day, but it was seen as a letdown. Tennessee dropped a spot in the AP poll (laughs) after beating Bama. If that doesn't tell you everything you need to know about how different times were in 2006 compared to now, I don't know what does. That's it right there. Right. Each year I pray for Bama to be sorry. And each year those prayers go unanswered. So as you can tell, it has been a very long time since Bama has been that sorry. Yeah. The Titanic gift. It's been such a long time. Yeah. Um, Look, Wild sliding doors moment to consider. And I thought about this rewatching this game, which of course I had to do this morning in preparation for this podcast and be able to write about this stuff this week. Um, Ainge's second pick of the day looked like it was going to be a walk-in pick six. And instead he runs, as he said, as fast as he has at any point in his entire life to be able to make this tackle. If he doesn't, Bama scores a touchdown instead of a field goal, which would have been huge in a game that was decided by three points. Tennessee won the sliding doors moment is does Mike Shula save his job for another year if Bama wins that game? And look, they would have been six and two at the time. They would have jumped back into the top 25, beating a top 10 Tennessee team on the road. Maybe they would have avoided the tailspin that they went that they went on down the stretch. Maybe we don't know. Again, that's why these things are so hard to predict. And obviously the NCAA stuff was coming. But the sliding doors is, of course, if Shula just gets another year, does Bama ever get Saban? You know, that's mm-hmm. 
nobody really talks about that, of course, because there are a million different things you could probably point to over the course of that season or the course of the things, the way it played out with Saban. We talked about the Dolphins stuff, all that. And so One I thing asked, I love about Saban is that he likes to leave those little breadcrumbs of like, ah, I almost didn't come back. And he'll tell like a new story every year or so where it's like, you know, I had this dream where they just wanted me to be the Nebraska head coach and I almost took it. And I talked to Sarah. It's like, you know, come on, bro. Don't do this stuff. <laughs> yeah, we talked about it with John Salty when he when he came on and said he seriously considered leaving Bama for the college game day role and what right. that would have yeah. been to do that 10 years ago. And there are these little breadcrumbs over the course of history, and we don't know the saving side of this and if there would have been an aggressive play, regardless of how that played out against Tennessee that day. But nonetheless, I still had to ask a question. So I asked Ainge, like, hey, if I told you, if I told you that and I said, let's let's just go butterfly effect right now perhaps change the course of history, not just for Tennessee or the SEC, but really for all of college football by simply making a business decision on that touchdown saving tackle. Would you do it any differently knowing what you know now? <laughs> he said to me, he goes, well, Connor, are you blaming me for the saving era of Alabama football? <laughs> and, yes. I said, and I said, yes, <laughs> that's course. exactly what I'm doing. As one does. Yes. Thank you for picking up on that. Uh, but then I kind of pushed him on it and he said, uh, quote, I would still push him out of bounds because that's my one claim to athletic fame in my entire career. And I'm going to hold on to that. I'm going to tell my grandkids about that. Sit on the front porch, son. Look what your pawpaw did over here, pushing Simeon Castile out of bounds. I love Great this football. That rules. <laughs> And he will. I have no doubt in my mind whatsoever. So anyway, mm-hmm. don't blame Eric Ainge for the entire Saban era like I did. Blame Drew Brees and, and his shoulder for that. That's Please. probably a better one. Yeah. Uh, as well as, hey, look, the sliding doors of your life, of course, yeah. as well. Big time for your Saints fandom, for sure. Mm-hmm. Danny um, Cannell's dad. Shout out. Yes. Wait, what? Yeah. He was the medical director for the Miami Dolphins. That didn't clear Drew Brees. Huh. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, that, see, that's a little fun fact for you. Anyway. Oh, that's a good one. Everything's connected. Everything yep. is connected. I am so fired up for this game. I really am. I, I saw PB talking about when was the last time a regular season game at this kind of building. And I know that, that, that Georgia faced Bama 2020, but it was COVID, so it was different. It didn't have the same type of buzz, same type of hype. And it's been a minute. It's been a it's been a while since we've seen a game like this with a full capacity crowd and the fact that you've got rivalry stakes, two teams that are in the inside the top six, like all, all these different things that go into this and the, the angst of the streak and the fact that Bama has kind of looked vulnerable at, at times. I mean, this is Bama's first true road game against an AP top 10 team since 2018 LSU. I did hmm. not choose violence. I did not. I'm just throwing that out there. Because it's interesting. I'm not trying mm-hmm. to troll. I swear I'm not. Yeah. I'd love to know the energy of this game in Rocky Top, a game in which College Game Day is making a return trip to uh, compared to Florida. Uh, how 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 that can possibly improve, I don't know. If you saw the Ross Dellinger tweet with all the boats that are already ready to go, just setting up shop. There's like 30 to 40 mm-hmm. boats, 72 hours before game time. That's the type of stuff that we're talking about. This is going to feel historic. You're going to get mad at Gary Danielson. It's okay. This is the way that the good Lord intended. We need, we all need a common ground to be able to yell at it. Three 30 on mm-hmm. Saturday afternoon when push comes to shove and it's going to be great. And you're going to have so many different eyeballs on this game. And that's, what's going to be so fun about this Tennessee trying to beat a top five team for the first time since 2005. I can't pick Tennessee to win the game. I can't. Mm-hmm. I'm picking Bama to win Tennessee to cover. So it sounds like a hedge. It is a little bit, 
Um, but I still, I mean, Bama's had four of those six road games since the start of 2021 that have been decided by three points or less. So I'll kind of hang my head on that. Tennessee's mm-hmm. past defense is bottom five nationally. Real bad. It's been that's been kind of the quiet thing here, and obviously dealing with the the Jalen McCullough stuff with you know the um, the arrest, and we'll kind of wait and see about that and the way that that impacts this team, who's really hasn't been particularly good defending the pass, but it's been okay because when you have an offense that says that's that explosive and you're at least good against the run, you can kind of make up for it. But I think if Bryce Young returns, that's your difference maker. That's mm-hmm. it right there. Three-point game that ends with Hendon Hooker trying to pull off a comeback attempt after a go-ahead Bama field goal, but Will Anderson hurries him, forces Hooker's first interception of the year. Bama squeaks out a three-point win, and Gary Danielson yips from the press box. Just pumped another Bama dub on, on his airwaves. Um, I will say this. By the way, well, real quick, are you, you're getting like 20 texts right now. Is everything okay? No, I'm, I'm sorry. It's a group chat. I'm going to put it down. I'm, I know that was coming through. My bad. Hey, listen, it's better than my boo alarm last time, so we're growing. <laughs> um, anyway, you asked a good question at the beginning of this, though. Um, so let me ask you this question. Let's say that, you know, um, let's say that Bryce Young gets back to fully healthy. If you're Nick Saban, do you think that Jalen Milrow has shown enough with his legs where he might still have a role in this offense? As I like not. a, I hope you don't think so. No, because any look, I I don't mean that as a slight to Jalen Milrow. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not taking Bryce Young off the football field. I'm not. Right. I just I, I won't do that. I don't care how much that mixes things up. Maybe maybe the only scenario I I'd be okay with that is if you're you're an obvious running situation. Nah, you know what? No, even then, because we saw Milrow have the fumbling issues last week, and I would, yeah, I that's still true. Be comfortable with that, even if it's a fourteen, you know, fourteen, sixteen point game late, and you know you're going to be running the football. I still, and I get that, you know, the fumbling issues happened when he was dropping back to pass, but there's still that ball security question. You would mm-hmm. still feel better with Bryce Young out there. So, no, I, I don't think he has a role if Bryce Young is able to go. It's it's interesting for sure, man, because we've talked about times Alabama offense is just kind of in need of weapons. And we love Gibbs, you know, but the receivers have, ste- have stepped up a little bit. But is that just playing Arkansas? Some would say um, yeah. so after what's happened with Arkansas. Kind of hard to say that. So I was just wondering, you know, if the offense starts to stagnate, if he kind of gets in a little bit of that Taysom Hill role we've seen where he kind of comes in, does a little bit of fun stuff and then leaves. Um, and again, as a Saints fan, I was furious whenever Taysom Hill, Hill would come in until he had a 50 yard run. And I was like, aha, yeah. see, yeah. this is why Sean Payton's smarter than me. And uh, Dennis Allen. Anyway, so point being, I think uh, that's just one thing that's interesting to me. I think that the the offense does get stagnant. Maybe Saban will try to go go to him a little bit. But yeah, to your point, I think that if he's healthy, I mean, again, the, uh, that's why I was so disappointed. And I know I went back and listened, and I I, I really hope I gave Tennessee enough credit um, last week because they really outplayed LSU in every phase. But that's why I was so disappointed by LSU not even trying to test those DBs because you know we love storylines and we love to see teams and their strengths and weaknesses and how it works. And I want to see these Tennessee DBs get tested because they're going to, you know, maybe it's, and and we talked about Georgia. They don't have great receivers either. So it's like, how long will it be? Who will be the team that figures out how to make these DBs cover Alabama, Bill O'Brien, you would hope would be that team. And and maybe, like I said, you know, the Arkansas pass defense is bad. The Tennessee pass defense is not way better. It's better, but also, you know, so they're so basically yeah, I, right, right there. Yeah, in the right. They're, they're they've been, racing to the bottom. Yeah. yeah, they're racing to the bottom. So, like I said, the front seven showed me something. I think that, you know, uh, that that was really big, but they, they really didn't even have an opportunity to defend the pass because you wouldn't throw the ball. So I, I think that this is going to be, 
you know, we hope to see a good Bryce Young game that isn't just bad defense, but I think hopefully this is the game that as fans of football, we see Bryce Young come out there, get healthy, throw for like a quiet 300 like he does with like two or three touchdowns and they're up and you're like, you know, Bryce Young, he didn't like, like it's, it's funny with some like college offenses. You're like, yeah, he only did like 300, but then you go back and you're like, oh, he didn't miss anybody. And like, yeah. those are the games that we miss from Young when he was really on last year. It's kind of a tricky game for Bill O'Brien in this sense. You have the unknown of what is Bryce going to look like when he's out there. Adrenaline's flowing. You can't simulate that the stuff with his shoulder in practice, how he's going to feel pain, how he's going to react to getting hit because you're not having him get hit in practice. What does it look like if Byron Young falls on him or something like that? Tyler Barron Mm -hmm. gets him off the edge. You know, one of those types of plays where you don't know how he's going to bounce back. So from one perspective, you would say if you're an Alabama offensive coordinator in this spot, I don't want my guy who's banged up, who's pretty much the key to our, our season, throwing the ball 50 times a game. Yeah. But at the same time, that's where Tennessee can be had. It yeah. is. And as good as you feel about your ground game, which, oh, by the way, Alabama's got the number one non-service academy rushing attack in college football right now. I mean, it's mm-hmm. the way that Jameer Gibbs has, has really gotten going in these last couple of weeks. That's taken it to a different level and the efficiency is off the charts right now. And if you're a Bama fan, you love to see that. But at the same time, are you playing into Tennessee's defensive strengths? If you say, we're going to make this be a Jameer Gibbs 20 carry type of day, I don't know. And that's the tricky thing that it might take a bit of a feeling out process. And it wouldn't surprise me if Tennessee does what it often does and came out like gangbusters looking like they're going to win the Super Bowl. And yeah, I realize they're not competing for a Super Bowl, but they might look that good. They could. And that place is going to be rocking. So that wouldn't surprise me. It really wouldn't. All I hope for is a back and forth down-to-the-wire game that doesn't Mm -hmm. finish on controversy. I don't want that. I don't want that because I don't want this this what-if of, oh, Bama gets all the calls, stuff like that. No, 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 no. I don't I'll want say Gary- it again. If you are still on the internet complaining about that last play for Texas A&M, go touch grass. They literally got a gift, two gifts on that drive. I honestly, if Bamba gets a call to go this way and their way in this game, I feel like it was justice for that PI call. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. I mean, it could be. And and who knows? I, you know, I, I hope we don't have anything determined like that. Or, you know, Will Anderson gets ejected for targeting on a play where he just takes Hendon Hooker to the ground or like something like that. I, yeah. I just don't want that. I want this game to be everything that we hoped it can be. Yep. Because the buildup has been awesome. It's been a lot of fun. Tennessee fans, y'all deserve to be excited because your team is really good and you are in a position right now that so many different fan bases wish they could be in, which is feeling like you have a chance against Alabama. We'll wait and see how that plays out and see how deflated Tennessee fans are or alternatively, how elated Tennessee fans are. Yes, pun very much intended. Any other um, thoughts on this one? I just one quick question. Let's say that Young is healthy. Um, how many pass attempts would you say for him? Oh man, it's it's tough because game flow can kind of dictate some of this. And it's yeah. like, all right, if if they get off to a great lead and they're they're all of a sudden up twenty to fourteen, and he's thrown twenty twenty five passes in the first half, you would ideally like a ground heavy second right. half approach. I, so I, that's kind of it's tough to pin a number. Bryce Young's probably going to have somewhere between 30 and 40 pass attempts, no matter what. If he's out there, that's what he's doing. I don't think, I just don't think that Bill O'Brien is going to be content to say, we're going to run the ball right at you, knowing how vulnerable you've been on the back end in your pass defense. And let's just say Jalen Milrow is theoretically out there. 
you got to take some chances. You yep. have to. It doesn't matter if that chemistry. Oh, he'll take is some chances. <laughs> That's one thing about that Jalen Milrose. He takes chances. Yes. I wonder if they had drills this week in which he had both hands taped to the ball when he drops back. And it, instead of like going through a normal throwing motion, he just has to go back with both hands taped to the football so that he couldn't let go. And maybe he'll attempt one pass in a game like this in which he just gives it a forward shove like that. We're going to see uh, – if Bryce Young doesn't play, we're just going to see Jalen Miller out there with big like hamburger helper mitts. <laughs> <laughs> just like stick them all over him. Yeah, I think I, – I saw um, – uh, uh, this is like all I got to say about this. Uh, this is, this is going to sound random, but it makes sense. So um, I heard um, Mark Slareth make a really good point about blocking Aaron Donald going into the Super Bowl. And he said you got to win – you got to have like 15 to 20 true pass attempts and you can you can kind of block those up and, you know, not play actions, not stuff like that. So I would say something – it's related to that when you have a kind of a banged-up quarterback, which is that they got to be able to use – if Bryce Young plays, they got to be able to effectively use him as a decoy and say, okay, and that's why, you know – not not playing Milro is smart to your point because as long as Bryce Young is out there, he's a threat to throw the ball sixty yards down the field. So if you can give Jameer Gibbs lots of carries with Bryce Young out there, and then make him throw twenty five to thirty passes that are like down the field darts, yeah. you know what I'm saying? And you could still throw a screen, but I'm talking about true, true, true passes, like not not dump offs, not little stuff like that. So that's going to be the key is like those reps. You know what I'm saying? It's how to get into those reps and how to get out of them without having that Tennessee uh, pass rush up in his face. So yeah, can you call screens for him in that spot? Mm-hmm. Do you feel comfortable? Are you are you are you trusting him to be able to get out of the way of, of taking one of those late hits, even if it means kind of an Olay defense and then, oh, Jameer Gibbs is able to bust open a 25-yard play if it's what's best for the offense versus what's best for Bryce Young and his health. That's the balance, and that's mm-hmm. that's why you have to be present, and it's not just – this. Like we talk all the time about Josh Heupel and game script and the first 15 plays and stuff like that, and then it's kind of, ah, what do you do from there? This mm-hmm. is one of those games in which if you're, if you're Bill O'Brien in that spot, you really have to be present, and you have to be able to understand your strengths and weaknesses mm-hmm. and be able to adjust this game plan accordingly because Tennessee can show you a lot of different things over the course of a game, and with how quickly they score, they can take you out of what you want to do. And that's that's the difficult thing to not necessarily fall into that pattern. But I'm excited. 3:30 CBS gonna be awesome, man. Cannot wait. Was that the drums? Was that the drums dropping? I gotta enjoy them while we still got the contract, man. I, I do love that theme song. I know. Only a couple more years. Oh well, man. Not looking forward to that. Even as a Big Ten guy, I'm like, all right. Mm-hmm. Originally a Big Ten guy, not not that's converted. Not make any sense? Reformed. Yes, reformed. Okay, Auburn, Ole Miss. Ole Miss is a 14 and a half point favorite. Ole Miss still number nine in the country. Uh, the over-under I have is one Auburn interception. Fun fact, Will. Auburn has one interception on a year. Yeah. Cool. On the year. And it was the Mizzou play where Nehemiah Pritchett won the battle with Luther Burden on the outside. Tipped pass. Goes into the arms of Derek Hall. So a defensive end has Auburn's only interception at the midway point of the season. So this is an offensive team, you would say, Albert. Well, well, it's not. It's not. Um, and keep in mind, the lack of interceptions is for a team that has played the likes of Sean Clifford, Brady Cook, Jaden Daniels, Stetson Bennett, and whoever the quarterbacks are for Mercer and San Jose State. So shout yeah. out to them. They didn't throw any picks. Hey. Ball security. That's everything. Auburn is tied with Illinois for fewest passing touchdowns allowed in all of college football with just Two. So there you go. You look at that. We're going to connect some dots here. Answer me this. 
why do teams not throw the ball in the red zone? And why do teams not really feel the need to take chances in the passing game against Auburn? There's an obvious answer, right? We can connect dots here because Mm -hmm. teams are saying, yeah, we can run the ball on them and trust that over the course of four quarters, they are going to break down. It's a good formula. It works every single time. Auburn has allowed 164 rushing yards per game. That's number 93 in FBS. Auburn has allowed 16 rushing touchdowns. That's bad. Arizona is the only power five team who has allowed more than that. That's extremely bad news for them because we know that Lane is not afraid to say, hey, Jackson Dart, you kind of scared me. Why don't you hand the ball off on every single RPO? We don't need that right now, okay? He loves saying that, in fact. That's one of his favorite things to say this year. Oh, yes. Well, take a guess who ranks number one in America with 21 rushing touchdowns. Um. Oh, is it our boy, Um. the the uh, the Ole Miss running back? Well, just as a team. As a team. Oh, as a team. Then Ole Miss, yeah. Yes, yes. You are correct. Yes. The team that Auburn is facing, not ideal. Um, Georgia is also tied. Georgia fans don't get upset. They're, they're mm-hmm. tied with, with Ole Miss with 21 rushing touchdowns this year. Let them have something. Come on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, if you take out the service academies for rushing yards per game, where do you think Ole Miss ranks? Like, ah, maybe top 30, top 20? Um. Oh, gosh. So in, in what now? Take out the service academies. For mm-hmm. rushing yards per game. So we're talking about a rushing yards per game. Okay. Oh, man. That sounds like a trick. I'm going to say, if you take them out, I'm going to say top 10. They're top five. Yeah, they're number five. Oh, yeah. So bad matchup for Auburn. Real bad. That's why the spread is where, where it's at. This sets up well for Judkins and Evans, who are basically splitting snaps at this point. So good luck just trying to stop one of them. Revenge game for our guy, JJ Pegues, all bang oh, drum yeah. team member. I don't think a loss gets Brian Harson fired. If that's the question we're going to keep asking every single week, <laughs> it seems like it is. I saw Greg McElroy talking about this, and I wonder how much actually is related to this. Auburn is apparently not going to fire Harson, according to what McElroy has been hearing, because it doesn't feel like it has anyone who can serve as an interim coach. Well, they had a guy, and now he is on the West Coast. So Shout out to Derek Mason. Yep. Doing big things. Um, they got a bunch of guys who worked as Harson's assistants at Boise State. And as much as I love Cadillac Williams, and I do, four years ago, I was interviewing the guy in Bradenton because he was the running backs coach at IMG Academy. Mm-hmm. I think even he would admit that he's not at the point of his career where he's ready to lead a power five program for basically half of a season in the nation's toughest division. Okay. Yeah. I think that's fair. Maybe the Matt Rule firing changes the timeline that Auburn would ideally like. I don't know. All I know is that Harson will be fired on a Sunday. I'm not saying which Sunday, and it'll be after we've recorded and we'll have to come back and put it <laughs> into the intro. That's the only thing that I'm 100% certain about. That's Oh it. yes. That's that's, that's going to be the new the new joke is is this the week that we get bamboozled by Brian Harson? Yes, and it's going to be a week in which we decide, ah, we're going to Universal on a Sunday afternoon today or something like that. Oh yeah. And then I'm going to get that text and just look, I tr- I try not to curse we might be cursing in public if that happens. If and when You're going to be on Space Mountain just on uh, Opelika Radio. Just like, yeah, you know, I think they never gave him a chance in this environment. <laughs> yeah. Like, can you just record this from your phone at, at Universal or something? Like, yeah, yeah, you're going to hear some yelling kids in the background, but oh, well, we'll just deal with it. Mm-hmm. No, that's, that's going to happen. But I, I think Ole Miss wins this game comfortably. I think Ole Miss covers the spread in this one. I think Ole Miss wins by like three touchdowns. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm there with you for all those reasons that teams are just kind of pounding the rock against Auburn. And, what, and when you said that, you said connect the dots. I was like, they unravel, don't they? I want to be mean in case you had a different point, but that's that's always the case. And honestly, yeah, this is a nightmare of a team to unravel against, as we saw against Vandy last week, because when you give Lane Gifford an inch, he will take a mile. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, to your point about rule, um, you know, if you're an Auburn fan, I guess you would have to have someone like that with like a legit, legit agreement before you felt good enough to have your program just floundering for half a season, right? Like if it's like, hey, okay, Brian Harson has been fired and Matt Rule is coming in next season. You guys are going to be horrible. Don't watch the rest of the games. That might be a little bit better. But if it's like, to your point, it's like Harson's fired and we don't know what to do next. It's yeah. like, uh-oh. <laughs> I mean, the recruiting can't really get much worse at this point. I mean, it's, yeah. have they cracked the top 50 yet? I don't think so. I mean, it's... I, so that that that's the point that I don't, I don't really necessarily understand if that is their their logic. I I don't know that that's the best point, but he's he's going to be gone. It feels like, and that that seems very much inevitable. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, Vandy number one, Georgia. Georgia's a thirty-eight and a half point favorite. The over/under I have is three hundred twenty-four Georgia passing yards. That's the average that Vandy is allowing. Man. Worst in Power Five. Will ten bucks to you. If you can name the worst passing defense in America. Well, it was Arkansas for a minute. Is it no longer? It is no longer. Oh, joy. Um, I mean, it can't be Vandy. I would assume it's some, I, I don't have this. I would assume it would be a non-Power 5 school, right, Connor? You are correct, Will. I was just going to see if you could pull that one out, if you would just randomly come across that stat over the course of the last few days, something like that. And I was going to mm-hmm. reward you handsomely for it. Ohio. Not Ohio State. Uh, Ohio. missing Joe Burrow's dad is what they're doing. They really are. Uh, Frank Solich not there anymore. I mean, he's been <laughs> gone for a couple of years, but yeah, you get what I'm saying. They are allowing that Ohio defense, by the way, I had to look this up. You know, I had to. Mm-hmm. They're allowing 386.8 passing yards per game. 18 to 1 TD die and T ratio. Joe Moorhead's offense, which again, we're not judging year one coaches, but only when mm-hmm. they do good things. Uh, right. Joe Moorhead's offense just lit them up for 418 passing. So of course. They're so bad that Joe Moorhead's former school, Fordham, lit them up for 503. Fordham, FCS, by the way. Um, but yeah, they're really bad. Vandy's pass defense, also a train wreck. Clark Lee, not willing to shake up play calling duties, which belong to Nick, Nick Howell. So kind of the reverse Jimbo Fisher here that we're <laughs> talking about. Um, maybe he's going to have to take that over because that's kind of what he was brought there to be able to do. Also, he was just po- brought in to look angry and, and take them to win the division. And to his credit, they've been much better. So I can't really slander him, but I kind of thought he was. Anyway, I've forgotten that someone picked them to win the SEC. Oh, I'll never let you forget that again, Connor. Don't you worry. We mustn't. Yes. Uh, I have not done my job to be able to dig into who that could have possibly been. That source has not revealed themselves. I got to slide into more DMs. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have more reporting to do. um, So I'll stay tuned. Job's not finished. Job is not finished yet. Uh, But anyways, yeah, the the get right game for Georgia. I would think that their passing offense gets it here. Stetson Bennett only has five passing touchdowns this year. That's it. Just five. That's as Heisman chances are over. They they are. Um, Mm -hmm. If if you don't believe that, and you think, oh, even if they go twelve and thirteen, tell me the last time that a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback. Won the award with less than 40 touchdowns. Because yeah. Stetson's not getting 40. That's not happening. Yeah. 
Troy Smith, 2006, and he shouldn't have won anyway. That was what I was going to guess. Like, I was like, I don't even consider him Heisman winner mentally. It's all he wanted. Good. Anyway. It's Darren, McFad- Darren McFadden's Heisman that Troy Smith won that we <laughs> can call. Yeah. Um, this will be, I, I think, a big game for the Georgia passing offense. A.D. Mitchell was back last week, but he only played three snaps. He didn't have any catches. Apparently, it's not just the ankle, which happened in week two. He's had a thumb injury that Kirby was talking about to Dog Nation. It was actually more significant than the ankle injury. That seems not good for Georgia. I'd love to know what's happening with Eric Gilbert. I just would. Brother. <laughs> I like you and lots of other people. Despite what Desmond Howard said on college game day when he showed the highlight of Darnell Washington uh, and mistook him for Eric Gilbert and said Eric Gilbert's a beast, 23 snaps. That's mm-hmm. it. It's a shame. Haven't seen him since week two. Kirby commented uh, on Gilbert about a month ago, and based on what it looked like, in the quote that I read in the athletic, there's something mentally that's just still not there. And Kirby, when Kirby was asked about it, he had this line about playing guys who quote, communicate and execute. Mm -hmm. That's a weird thing to say about a player. It is. And it sucks because he was just, he was going to be so special if he had just stayed on that path. And whether that was at, at LSU or somewhere else, man, like it's just a bummer, and it feels like one of those instances in which a guy just doesn't get it until it's too late. And I want to see Gilbert, but I think if you're a Georgia fan, anything you get from this point moving forward just kind of has to be considered gravy. I, I that's that's kind of where we're at with this entire thing. And hopefully, he's going to be on the field at some point. I'm not holding my breath anymore. I'll instead just continue to enjoy Brock Bowers, Darnell Washington, and and Oscar Delp, who is. Uh, somebody that I confuse for Brock Bowers every time he touches the football. I mean, he's it's really good. Yeah. He's really good. <laughs> really good. George is going to be just fine without Eric Gilbert. But anyways, I'm bummed. Um, by the way, I'm picking Vandy to cover plus 38 and a half. 49 to 14 is covering. So yeah. Why wouldn't I? Vandy's passing game is fun. They're kind yeah. of fun. Will Shepard, but you didn't know this, Will and everybody else listening to this podcast. Mm-hmm. Will Shepard's got a chance to win the SEC's triple crown in receiving. Oh, okay. Yeah. Winning, leading two of the three categories right now. So just saying, I don't know. It's like Devontae Smith numbers right there. Um, Some really, quick, really quick with uh, Eric Gilbert. That's a guy that I have literally felt like I'm living in a 30, 30, 30 for 30 the entire time. Because if you listen to the guys in Baton Rouge, there were like several guys who were like, oh, when you guys hear the real story here, and they knew, they knew the story, you know, Muscona and those guys, they were like, Oh, when you guys hear the real story, it's crazy, but we want to get that out there and have it hang over the kid, you know, whatever. And I'm sure, you know, hopefully I'll get to the NFL and figure it out, but I'm just dying to know. It's like a, a, a present for me five years in the future, what actually happened to him in college, because everyone's approached it the exact same way. It's just like, yeah, we can't really talk about it. It's not health related. It's like a mid, but like, I, it seems like it's a different situation from Georgia and Baton Rouge because the Baton Rouge one was like, almost felt like something that happened in his personal life. But anyway, yeah, I just, I hope he gets that figured out. And, and yeah, to your point, um, yeah, I think 38, 38 and a half is just a so lot. disrespectful. It's, you got to hope, you know, again, we saw them kind of unravel last week, but you got to think that Clark Lee, defensive guy who does not call the plays is at least going to be like, guys, we can't do this two weeks in a row. Like, come on. Like we were trying to build something here. They have already hit the over there. The vibes were immaculate. And if they just get, you know, dump struck by two different teams, that would be rough. I think Jonathan Mingo, if he got to play every single game against Vandy, he would have a 6,000 yard season. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it would be. It'd be so. Ah, maybe that's a little much because that's 500 yards a game. Ah, maybe it's not. I don't know. He was running free way too much in that game, though. Guy was getting wide open, and that tackling was very, very bad. So yeah, I think we're going to see some busts, and I think Georgia will score a lot of points. But 
Vandy's, Vandy can score points too. So, they kind of rank gosh. these DBs. Arkansas, Tennessee, Vandy. Woof. They're all bottom five, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah, they are. Passing defense. Um, I'm going to say... I'm going to say Tennessee's one, Arkansas's two, Vandy's three. And I don't feel good about that because how could you? <laughs> right. How could you? Yeah. It's been rough. It's been yeah. really rough. Okay. Arkansas, one and a half point favorite. Unique game at BYU in Provo. The over-under I have is 10 KJ rushing attempts. It's expected to be back. That's the good news. KJ Jefferson, the Arkansas quarterback, missed last week's game. Returning very positive development for a team that has lost three games in a row. Malik Hornsby goes into a backup role. Sam Pittman said, yeah, they've, we're, we're not going to have them at receiver anymore because it's actually more worth us investing time in him at quarterback after what he kind of showed last week, mm-hmm. stretching the field, getting regular reps over the, in a game for basically the first time in his career. I mean, he had more passing attempts in that game than he had in his entire career combined. We kind of got to see, all right, he's got some talent. Definitely, yeah. definitely got some fine tuning to do on some of those shorter passes as we talked about, but you kind of liked what you saw. And you're like, okay, this is this is a guy that we can work with moving forward. So KJ coming off the head injury. Mm-hmm. I am a little bit worried that the Arkansas offense typically struggles when it's very clear that he's not going to be a high volume runner. He's only had seven instances of single-digit carries in a game since he became the starter. And it always feels like it's the byproduct of him either being banged up like he was last year against AM and Georgia, or it's Arkansas facing some FCS or group of five defense when they're a heavy favorite, and they just kind of struggle to get going. Think back to Rice in the 2021 season opener. Think oh, yeah. about Missouri State this year earlier, where you're just like, are they what are they doing? Like they look like they're just running, running, you know, walking through quicksand right now. It's really bad. And it makes it so that teams start selling out on those RPOs. And instead of playing that guessing game, there's that one carry where Rocket Sanders or Dominic Johnson, AJ Green, whoever it is, they get blown up in the backfield and you're like, oh, third and nine and you got to throw. And this isn't great. Here's mm-hmm. the good news. I think you can be one-dimensional against BYU. They are 97th in the country against the run. Bo Nix had three rushing scores against them. Five total. Yep. It's having a nice year. Um, Oregon put up 41 in that game, game that got real lopsided. I think Arkansas can have a similar path to success. This is a a big, how much do you your guys believe in you type game because you've lost three in a row. Again, one in three overall in SEC play. They have the one SEC win, we know. You make this long trip out to Utah. It's beautiful. I'm here for all the images. In fact, if you are an Arkansas fan going to the game, you tweet me pictures of the scenery, automatic retweet for me. Mm -hmm. Looks beautiful. It's going to be great. Huge game, though, for Pittman deciding how to evaluate Barry Odom. He hasn't had to fire a coordinator yet. You're in year three. Mm -hmm. I don't think Arkansas's defense waltzes into Provo like it owns the place. But I do think that it kind of gets back to a little bit of its bread and butter, even if that means some bus on the back end, because I think they need to be able to apply pressure. I think they were kind of reacting in a bizarre way the last couple of weeks. The mid-game switch from Bryce Young to Jalen Milrow, and then obviously the decision to play drop eight coverage against Mississippi State and not pressure Will Rogers at all. At all. I, I mean, <laughs> it was 
it was bad. It was really, really bad. So I think that Arkansas wins this game 31 28 hogs. By the way, over under is 66 and a half. Whole lot of points. Man. That's high. That's that's the highest of the week. There's I there's probably only a few games in the SEC that have been more than that this year, but that's that's up there. I'm bummed that this one's on 3:30 Eastern time, same time as as Bama Tennessee. I'll be mm-hmm. you know we'll we'll do the thing where you know we get, we got it streaming of course, but I just wish I could have this one on the main TV. I'm a Utah guy. You know this. I'm a Utah Pro guy. Utah. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, six games involving top 25 teams, and this isn't even one of them. That just lets you know how good of a Saturday this is going to be. Yeah, I think uh, – so we, we talked about NCAA football, the video game before, and um, veterans of that game will know that there are only a couple of schools that you could choose and set your whole schedule. And Notre Dame was the obvious one, but BYU, another one who has just been you know, independent, didn't have a conference. I don't really know. They're obviously going to the Big 12. I don't really know specifically where they're at this year. But, of course, they have <laughs> – of course, Livid Hunter Juracek have linked it up and had this beautiful trip to Utah for the boys in Arkansas. You, you love to see that for them. But uh, yeah, no, I think um, to the point about BYU, I won't make too many BYU jokes, but I will say that, you know, too many. You got a couple? <laughs> well, so the, the the joke about BYU, right, is always that, you know, they would come back after the service and you had like grown men out there and you, you add that with the COVID stuff where you have an additional year of eligibility. And if BYU at this stage of the game cannot stop the run, you got right. dudes that are like in their late 20s out there with like a wife and kids. It's yeah. like, dude, how can you not stop the run? You need some big dudes who are fully developed, you know, like like just NFL size dudes. So that's that's obviously like that would be the thing I would hope for at BYU. But the fact to your point, they've been disappointing against the run. It's like I would take Arkansas personally to cover here just because, you know, the run game, as we've talked about, has not really been the issue uh they've had issues but i think that they've effectively you know you talked about hornsby and the way that he's been and you know our boy rocket he's been awesome so like i think that you know one thing about Bryles is he can get a little bit in his own head and do a little bit too much but if your first option is there you usually just keep taking it so i would think arkansas has a nice little get right game you know we talked about Pittman's Pittman and Stoops, two are the best like foxhole guys and so i think that you know the loss will start to pile up for either of those coaches it's like hey Look, we'll get this one right. Don't you worry. The line of this one started off at, I believe, BYU was a three-point favorite. Mm-hmm. And then it, it swung in a hurry. And now Arkansas, as of this recording, one-and-a-half-point favorite. Interesting. And I wonder how much of that is related to the status of KJ. But I was kind of thinking coming off of last week, given the fact that KJ was at least in pads, which I think that matters somewhat. I mean, pads mm-hmm. and a hat, not pads and a helmet. He's wearing the helmet kind of off to the side, you know, mm-hmm. just as, as one does. It was, mm-hmm. it was barely up there. There were a lot of people that were probably really, really offended by that. Just wear your hat straight, young man. Remember when that was the thing? <laughs> yeah, Felix Hernandez. I Felix Hernandez. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, like, okay, we, we, have, we have bigger things that we can get upset about. All right, right. Let's, let's chill. Uh, but yeah, I think he's going to be out there. And I think based on what we've seen from the Arkansas ground game, this should be a get our mojo back, take over offensive line sort of feast. You, you, you always wonder about the altitude, that whole aspect of it, but condition the way that Arkansas is, is, has been and the way that they have to operate that up-tempo style, you would kind of think, all right, with the way that we like to be able to do things, 
Maybe mm-hmm. this plays into our hand a little bit more because our conditioning at, is at such a high level. But I do think Arkansas is able to win this game on the road, and they're able to cr- close out what, what's been a – oh, no, I guess they haven't closed out non-conference play yet because they still have the Liberty game coming up. So I shouldn't say that. Schedule is just – You're a tech. Mad man. With intrigue. Yeah. <laughs> Mad man. At BYU and uh, you freeze. Let's do it, boys. Very and nice. and uh, uh, what's his name? The old Arkansas coach. Bobby Petrino. And Bobby Petrino. <laughs> just put, these boys are getting their money's worth for that scholarship and not gone. Most entertaining schedule from start to finish in all of college football. Mm-hmm. No doubt about it. Mississippi State, number 16 Mississippi State, somehow not in the top 15. They're four-point favorites against number 23 Kentucky. The over-under I have, three Will Rogers incompletions. That sounds low because it is. Mm-hmm. That's how many he had in this game last year, as Kentucky fans know all too well. Mm-hmm. 36 for 39 for 344 yards. He was slinging it. Kentucky had no answer whatsoever. This was at the beginning of the realization that you could no longer just play drop eight coverage and hope to shut down this offense because Will Rogers was surgical. And, and I would highly doubt that Mark Stoops runs it back with the same plan. And, you know, especially after what he saw Barry Odom struggle with last week. And they're running the ball, Connor. Yeah, and they're actually willing to run the ball. So you can't just play drop eight coverage. You can't do that. They're willing to to kind of mix things up a little bit. This should be an Mm -hmm. interesting chess match between Mike Leach and Mark Stoops. Rodgers had five interceptions in the two games leading up to this one last year. From that game against Kentucky, which was a little bit later in the year, was Halloween weekend. From that game until this point, Will Rodgers has just five interceptions thrown in his last 569 pass attempts. And I get it. Like he's not out here throwing, you know, twenty yard passes every he single time. About fifty times. I feel like that's even more impressive because they right? know it's going to be five yards. Exactly. And any tip pass can go for an interception. So I mean, yeah. I, I I still think that that's impressive. One hundred forty three pass attempts without a pick. That's the streak he's currently on. His thirteen game pace is pretty wild. 48 touchdown passes, 4,550 passing yards, 158.1 quarterback rating. Joe Burrow is the only SEC quarterback to ever hit all three of those marks in a season. It's still unlikely, and I'm not going to compare him to Joe Burrow. Will, do not worry. I'm not doing that. It's still unlikely that Rodgers continues at that high of a level because of the competition that's coming up here. Mm -hmm. But there is something that I was thinking about. There's clearly still an air raid asterisk that'll prevent him from winning the Heisman unless he's able to beat Alabama and continue on that pace, in which case, all right, that changes the game a little bit. As great as this start has been, he's still only 100-1 to to win the Heisman. And he's tied with Quinn Ewers and J.J. McCarthy, neither of whom has started every single game this year for their respective teams. Yeah, That's telling. The fact that he's been this good and that's still kind of the way that it's viewed. And I went back and I dug up the best Heisman voting finishes for a leech quarterback since he's been a head coach. So that would exclude Tim Couch, who had the two top 10 finishes kind of at a time when people were still learning about the air raid. Um, but Cliff Kingsbury was ninth, 2002. Shout out to Cliff. Mm-hmm. Um, BJ Simons was 10th in 2003. Graham Harrell was fourth, 2008. Gardner Minshew was fifth in 2018. All of these guys had at least 40 total touchdowns, unlike a certain Troy Smith. <laughs> Three of them had 5,000 passing yards. None of them even got an invite to New York. So I wanted that to be out there because yeah. like, I, as much as I, I, I respect what Will Rogers is doing, but I, I wrote something earlier in the week about how I think all four of the SEC's 
Heisman candidates are playing in the game in Knoxville because I included Jameer Gibbs and Will Anderson, Hendon Hooker, obviously, and then Bryce Young if he's healthy. Um, and I had somebody ask me, like, why not Will Rogers? And that's why. Um, yeah. So that if you're wondering about that, that's just kind of something to keep in the back of your mind. I think and I hope that we're going to get a great quarterback showdown against a couple of confident defenses. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that depends on Will Levis returning. I think he's going to be coming back. You never know with these things. I'd be surprised if this turned into a shootout. These defenses, I think, are too disciplined for that. The over-under for this is only 49. That's not a whole Mm. lot, considering how prolific these quarterbacks have been. Two of the best in the SEC, two that are very much in contention for one of those all-SEC spots at season's end. I think Kentucky will be run heavy, and I have this sneaky suspicion that this ends up going down to the wire. Kentucky has another special teams blunder that proves costly. Even though that line moving several points kind of scares me a little bit. This was like Mississippi State was a six and a half point favorite. And then I was like, oh, they're only a four point favorite now. I'm going to take Mississippi State to win on the road in Lexington 27 to 21. And I don't feel great about that because we know no road team has won this game since Dak in 2014. So keep that in mind as well. Ah, you're making me question myself because I was Mm -hmm. right there with you. Um, Yeah, I think on the the Will Rogers point, we were – both like super, I'm not going to say early. It's not like we're hipsters or anything, but we're, oh, both, we're hipsters. Very much so. yeah. We we heard about him before. Okay. <laughs> I watched this offense carve up their first team. I'll let you know. It was the LSU Tigers. Yeah, but anyways, he wasn't so, out there, but yeah. No, 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 no. That's just the offense. That's why I said it that way. Yeah, I know that yeah. was KJ, but point being, um, yeah, we've been on him forever. And so, like you said, don't think we're haters. I think honestly, Minshew and uh, Zappy being effective in the NFL, um, I think is actually kind of legitimized Leach's offense as well. Um, as weird as that is, you know, it, for a while, we've talked about it before. I've kind of given my theory about like Cam Newton and people saying, oh, well, college concepts will never work. And then now everybody's running college concepts and there's like kind of one offense that's everywhere. Um, and so point being, I think that weirdly that has legitimized Leach a lot. So hopefully, you know, and Rogers is still young, man. Like, like, he, I believe he has a couple of years of eligibility. He's got two his, years of eligibility left after this yeah, year. Yeah, which sounds wrong. Year. Like, I just want to be like, he, like, so even if he doesn't win it this year, he has like a you know, COVID year and everything, like, he could in one of these subsequent years, and he is going to be like at the SEC's leading passer in everything by the time he retires. He's draft eligible too this yeah. year, but you just, that's, that's one of those cases where he's really going to have to get, because size wise, Mm-hmm. He's he's not he's not NFL level what they would typically look for mm-hmm. and based on the way that you know even Minshew was kind of treated in in the draft process yeah it's still going to be kind of held against him because all right if you've only played with a very specific scheme you need a team that's kind of open to that concept as well obviously you know you can throw against zone coverage but how does he hold up what does it look like when he gets pressured all these different things he's going to be an interesting case at season's end if and when that decision comes down I think he stays for at least another year yeah, I, I think like that I don't know if he stays all five is what I'm saying. That's the thing with a quarterback, right? Is like you hope they play well enough to get drafted, <laughs> but not so well that they get drafted after like a year. So that's kind of where Mississippi State's at. So, being, uh, so yeah, I think I, I feel good about Mississippi State in this one, man. Mississippi State is a very, very, very good team. And I truly think that like last week against Arkansas, obviously I slander Barry Odom. I'm not telling you he's a great coach or anything, but I really think that was a testament to Mississippi State winning the game. And obviously, because I didn't play, I know, but versus Arkansas losing it, I think that Mississippi State's rolling at the exact right time. Kentucky is reeling. And to your point, Will Levis is banged up. We saw what banged up Will Levis did against Ole Miss. You know, had some turnovers, some pretty... So if you look at one side of the field, you have great vibes on the Mississippi State. That on the Mississippi State sideline to come up this huge win. Will Rogers 
is like hitting his stride. On the other side, you have Kentucky that, you know, it's really hard with Kentucky too, because we last year were talking about, you know, this pace they were on comparing them to 2018, all the different stuff. But it's like, well, you know, C-Rod wasn't there for the first two games and then Levis got hurt. So it's like really, we just know the O-line's not any good. First but beyond that. <laughs> first four games, yeah. Oh, you're right. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was even more than that. So it's like, yeah, like. We don't even all we know about this team, like I said, is the O line's not very good. We don't really know much about even the defense because that's like predicated on like like you said, Marcus Satterfield being successful isn't because the defense was bad. Yeah, so, defense has had injury issues in the front seven as well for Kentucky. And they've they've looked great at times and other times you've just kind of been like, Oh, you know what? That's that that that's not vintage vintage stoops what you would expect. Right. And so, yeah, I think, I think we kind of like, and I wish the Levis news, and I said this in the last pod, I wish the Levis news to come up before our, our preview pod. Cause I, I certainly would have picked, I certainly would have picked South Carolina. Cause I mentioned it. I was like, this is the throw up on the shoes game. I can just see it. But point being number one, those games usually don't go back to back, but those games happen often against Mississippi state. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think, you know, we love Kentucky. We love stoops. We love what they're doing, but this team is just too, they got too much going on. I think to, to, to handle what is the air raid, which is, Total discipline. It is total discipline for four quarters. Because like we've talked about, any route can be a touchdown if a guy misses a tackle. And that's what this offense is based on. And if you have guys that are just in and out, you don't have a consistent identity really on either side of the ball. It's like, this is a bad team to play, man. Mississippi State wins this game. They will end up having a winning record in SEC play for just the second time in the 21st century. I think that (laughs) this is the type of game you need to be able to win in order to do that. The stat that I was looking up, because I had I came... I, I did the numbers on this uh, a couple of days ago. Mississippi State was outscored 21 to nothing, that disastrous fourth quarter against LSU. We've talked about that a lot. Mm-hmm. The other 23 quarters of football they played, all of which against FBS competition, by the way, they outscored their opponents 231 to 105. Oh, man. It's been lights out. And if Kentucky wins this game, I'll be very impressed with them because going 60 minutes with them is, is just not an easy thing to do. And with the way that they've been reeling, the weaknesses that Kentucky has shown, they can play really good football and lose this game and not necessarily have a bunch of self-induced mistakes, which they've had too many of those the last two weeks. Kentucky can play well and still lose to Mississippi State. That's how good they are. And while I do think Kentucky does end up making a couple of mistakes late in this one, I think that there's a lot on the line for for both of these teams. A sneaky good game and a game that I worry is just kind of kind of be lost in the shuffle on a loaded Saturday, but a good one to turn on if you're kind of looking to detox after the, yeah. you know, after uh, Bama, Tennessee and all the juice that we're going to have for that one. Get your emotional support air raid offense. Just put yes. it on the background, watch some passes. It's going to be super chill. Put on some lo-fi in the background. Yes. Or alternatively, turn on LSU Florida. Please don't. It's got some sickos <laughs> vibes to it. Definitely. It always does. Uh, and this at this stage of the game, it definitely does. Florida's a two and a half point favorite. The over-under I have is one Austin Powers who throws a shoe gift tweet from me. I'm going to try and reframe myself. I really will. I make mm-hmm. no promises. Question. I need you to answer this. Let's say an LSU player scores a touchdown in this game. I think that'll happen. Hopefully. Right? Yeah. Assume. If the LSU player takes off their own shoe and heaves it, is that a penalty? Because I don't yes, think it should be. Because it's a prop. Okay, so that even if it's part of the uniform, mm-hmm. part of your own uniform, you're not bringing in anything, you're not bringing in a cell phone a la Joe Horn, you're not doing anything like that. It's your mm-hmm. own shoe. You can't do that. Mm-mm, you can't throw your own helmet either. Helmet I get. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> hey, 
I didn't think a shoe could be a weapon until, until this came two years ago. But okay, so my I would push back on that and say the entire purpose of calling in an unsportsmanlike penalty is because now the opposing player has to go fetch their own shoe. And that yeah. sucks. I like that. That's kind of a pain to have to go and do that. You're like, oh, I'm going to walk you know, 10, 15 yards. I mean, it was, that went more than 10, 15 yards. Let's be honest. That was <laughs> sailed. Um, but if I'm making the decision to throw my own shoe and I'm the one who has to retrieve it, why can't we do that? Why can't we have a little bit of fun? Or maybe this is the way to do it. Stop short of throwing the actual shoe. And instead, if you're an LSU player or maybe a Florida player with a sense of humor, I don't want to rule them out. Mm-hmm. They take off the shoe after a touchdown and simulate the throwing motion, but don't actually throw it and just say, ah, no, no, no just kidding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, that would be a sick. That would be a sick celebration if they if they didn't take off the shoe and just did like the fake take off the shoe and throw air. I think that would be pretty fire. There's there's room here. Somebody's got to yes. figure that out. All right, we can we can connect it to an nil opportunity. Something we we'll mm-hmm. get this figured out. Somebody needs to come up with a better idea. But I gave you the the bare bones to it. Somebody make that work. Even though it's two different coaches, I still feel like this is a game destined for craziness, and <laughs> that's what this has been, especially in the playoff era. One of my favorite rivalries because it's always unpredictable. It's weird. It's physical. It's two awesome fan bases. I'll continue to say the loudest I've ever heard a stadium that I was at was when Burrow threw that pick six in the Swamp 2018. Mm-hmm. That place erupted. Wild stat. And I bet you probably know this because you've lived this. <laughs> They've played eight times in the playoff era. Will, how many times was the game decided by one score? Almost all of them, I feel. Um, I'm going to say like six or seven, probably seven. Yeah. Yeah. And the largest margin of victory in that stretch was LSU winning the 2019 game by 14 points, which Florida was leading halfway through the third quarter. And it was this awesome game in death Valley. It covered. They did cover. Yes. Wait, what was the spread that game? I joked about that last podcast. It was 13 and a half. Oh yeah, that's right. (laughs) Oh, good teams win. Great teams cover. Yep. Florida, two and a half point favorite for this one, which is basically the odds maker saying, eh, neutral site, this would be a coin flip. This would be a pick them. I feel like both programs are at really similar points with their first year head coaches. And I'm not saying they're the exact same thing, but it's been mm-hmm. some good, it's been some bad, mm-hmm. some moments where their team was able to rise to the occasion late, some moments where their coach said something that they'd probably like to take back, typical of a year one coach. Both are recruiting at a high level. LSU slightly higher than Florida right now. And if you're of the belief that Florida still isn't doing enough in state, let's see how that narrative changes if and when Kermani McLean commits to Florida. I'm just saying. That's a really big deal. Yep. What I'm saying is that this is setting up for the ideal scenario for me personally. (laughs) I love when I can watch two teams that aren't competing for a division title right? That I can watch a game that I know is going to be competitive. I want incredible plays. I want unpredictability. I feel like I cannot look away. This is main TV material, right? Mm-hmm. I think I'm I'm picking Florida to stop the losing streak at three, but LSU to cover plus two and a half. So one point game, even though- I was going to say a one point game. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. 2019, that's, that's the way I see this play. You could, I mean, 2019 is Florida LSU. Through yeah. and through. No, no doubt about it whatsoever. Maybe like safety, blocked extra point. I don't know. Something like that. Who that is feels... more likely to have the safety? Richardson Ooh. or Jamin Taylor? 
Because <laughs> I can see Richardson like completely just freezing and not seeing a guy. I can see Daniels just being like, hum the dum the dum. <laughs> Better question. Who is more likely to run out the back of the end zone? Oh, it's got to wow. be Daniels. I, I feel like that's Daniels. Yeah. Daniels. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe Garrett Nussmeyer runs out of the end zone. Please, he comes in the please, game. no Garrett Nussmeyer. I was just talking about that today. I wish LSU had kept Miles Brennan at this point and just had him as a backup because Nussmeyer is not good. Anyway, how bad uh, do you think? It, how bad do you think it was for Miles Brennan in this offense? I don't think it was bad. I think they just had saw more years with Nussmeyer. Like I think they were just like, well, if we invest time in it, uh, 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 Miles is like you, you oh, thirty six. Yeah. Like, what? Well, why would we do that? Whereas with Nuss, it's like, well, you know, you got a couple of years left, and you almost transferred and called your daddy last time we didn't play you so we might as well just put you second but um, still like you see the way that that Jaden has struggled in this offense to kind of master some of those concepts I just I just wonder what it would have looked like at practice side by side right yeah. after after just seeing all these different things because it's not like in practice Jaden is probably running free and, and and winning that job going away with it the dynamic had to be different he had to be making yeah. some of those plays going through his progressions in a different sort of way than what he's done for the first part of the season yeah i could see him you know what i'm saying i could see him looking like anthony richardson in practice and then getting to the game and being a practice player and then being being scared in the game because I, I i compared those two guys to start the year you know there are guys that had to get it figured out two very different offenses and we've seen ha- how having a coach like billy napier really helps you know because brian kelly you know hired his old boomer buddy mike dimbrock i'm not gonna go down that path i did in the last time but i'm just saying you know you can see with napier how it's his offense it's his team him and you know as much as they've not been in sync sometimes He's the one making the decisions and kind of editing the offense and getting them in a position to win. Whereas like Denbrock has a game plan and boy, that's the game plan. There is no. <laughs> has Joe Brady ruined LSU offensive coordinators for you? Uh, Well, I mean, honestly, that's a I, yes. <laughs> I, well, no, I still think that offense was mostly Insminger because if you looked at the year before, it was like kind of the second best offense I've seen in a minute from LSU minus like 2013 with um, uh, my boy. Cameron. but. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Point being, like, I, I, I actually think that was mainly Coach E, and you can kind of see that with what happened with the Panthers. Um, I think people were a little bit too high on Joe Brady, but anyway, um, yeah, no, I, I think that, uh, I think this is gonna be a super duper interesting game. And obviously, you know, we talked about both of these jobs are open. Both of these programs thought they were in a better place than the other one. Um, it seems like you know all the data points point to they're both kind of in the exact same place. Uh, they both have lots of high hopes. They both are saying the right things. They both are turning the program around. But in year one. It's been pretty rough for both. You know, they both have one really good ranked win and some <laughs> questionable losses. And I think that right now, I mean, this game is the best measuring stick and it's coming at kind of the best time, honestly. Yeah, big bragging rights for who is further along, even though I truly do think that they're at a really similar place no matter mm-hmm. how this this kind of turns out. I think there's a chance that we realize in this game, oh crap, Florida's defense is kind of just Ventro Miller and everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, which it's been a little bit of that at times this year. By the way, my dudes who deserve better team that I've been talking about and <laughs> just talking into existence for a while, that is officially out on SaturdayDownSouth.com as of Thursday morning. Go check that out. Shameless plug. Um, spoiler alert, Ventro Miller, very much on that team, of mm-hmm. course. Um LSU's receivers also on that, of course. <laughs> you know, uh, I just want to say really quick, because now we're talking about Georgia receivers being kind of sorry this year. LSU getting Georgia's receivers coach might have, they might have been right about him. He might have left a little bit of a hole in Georgia and now it's kind of moving to LSU. Uh, that's just a take I want to just trot out there. Out, yeah. 
Yeah, I want to just sit on it. We'll see if it gets better next year. But like so far, it looks like the receivers at Georgia are in a pretty bad place. And the receivers at LSU have now gotten worse with this guy's hiring. Yeah, we'll wait and see how that, that kind of plays out over the course of the year. Again, I, I'm not making excuses for Georgia. I would like to see them kind of a little bit healthier with what they were kind of expecting from some of those guys as well. But yeah, something to something to put a pin in for later. But yeah, 2019, that's what I have for this game. 2019, Florida's able to win at home end the streak. Um, anything else on this one before we go to lock of the week? Um, yeah, I, I think that, you know, like I said, the strength for Florida is obviously offense. We saw it in the Tennessee game. You know, that's the one common opponent. Um, you know, it, it, it's Florida was able to punch back. They were able to roll with that offense even on the road. Um, and so obviously you'd be able to look at that and say Florida's a little bit farther along. But then the other side of the ball, like I said, that's the great thing about this. I love Matt House. I think he's done awesome. I've spent this whole time hyping up Mississippi State and he shut them down um, and and kind of figured out FSU in the second half. So I think I think LSU's defense and um, no no shortage of, you know, Harold Perkins contributions. I mean, that's that's the crazy thing is this guy was between these two teams and now he's making such a huge difference for LSU, you know, without Mason Smith. He's been a, lot, a down lineman sometimes. He's been so such a refresher. He didn't play a lot versus Tennessee, which is a whole other thing. But anyway, um, so yeah, it's very interesting. Two different coaching philosophies where you have, you know, <clears throat> Notre Dame, which has hired all these great defensive coordinators, talking about Marcus Freeman, talking about, um, you know, the, the, the couple of guys that have gone. Uh, Clark Lee is another guy. Mike so Elko. Point B, yeah. Yeah. Mike Elko is the guy I was thinking of. Thank you. Okay. So, yeah, three guys that are now head coaches. Like Brian Kelly can somehow pick defensive coordinators. So he's got that figured out. Not to say Florida can't. They obviously have less talent on that side of the ball. But right now you feel good about LSU's defense. You feel pretty good. I still think you feel good about Florida's offense. I think that that's def- like at Florida fans, you feel way better about the offense than the defense. So it's kind of interesting that we're going to get strength on strength in this game. We're going to get Andy Richardson versus Madhouse's defense. And we're going to get, get Jaden Daniels versus that Florida defense. And that's going to be the sickos mode right there. I think that that's, it's always great when you get strength on strength and weakness on weakness like that, because you have a nice little football, like, Oh, we get to see two, a chess match. And then we just get to see, you know, hopscotch on the other side. So it's, it's, it's well balanced. This game is begging for some dumb plays. Just oh, dumb, yes. plays. we're definitely going to get that. I, I don't know when it's going to happen, but it's, it's setting up pretty well for that. Especially, you know, they, they, they do have guys that can rush the passer and, and make a quarterback look really dumb in some of these moments, maybe behind the back, Max Johnson, UCLA pass. Is that too much to ask for? Let me, know. let me ask you this real quick and then we can move on. How do you feel about uh, Florida's offensive line? Against to be able to to pass protect, I think eh, the run blocking's been fine. That's not been an issue at all. Osiris Osiris Torrance, the guy that that Billy Napier brought with him from Louisiana, has I think he's PFF's highest graded guard in the country, if I'm not mistaken. They've Mm -hmm. actually been all right there, and you know you see, I love the patience that we see from Montrell Johnson, and Mm -hmm. and kind of this nice change of pace that they have with Trevor Etienne. I've talked about that a lot, but. I think from a running perspective, they're they're what you want. I don't know that they can hold up pass protecting Anthony Richardson. I don't know. Sometimes it's a little bit tough to judge how much of that is because a quarterback is is fading and he's not necessarily willing to step up into the pocket and make his offensive line look better, which, mm-hmm. you know, he struggled with that at times. He's been a little bit inconsistent there, but I would say that they've been fine. I wouldn't necessarily say that they've been a total liability, and I wouldn't say that they've been an undeniable strength either. 
Yeah, and to your point, he's one of the harder quarterbacks to ever protect because he's so unpredictable. So if they had, you know, uh, one of these great Bama offensive lines, there were times where they would still look kind of disoriented because they wouldn't know which way the pressure was coming from because he's just he'll disappear sure. appear over here and then hit a guy wide open. So, yeah, I think, again, I've, I've been saying this. If you're an LSU fan, the thing you feel good about is the pass rush. They won the Auburn game. Um, I hope the, the good news is hopefully that Florida's offense is not as well oiled as Tennessee's and they will make some mistakes that Tennessee didn't because Tennessee made like two mistakes in a home game and you saw it. So yeah, yeah that's pretty much, that's where I'm at right now. I Tennessee, hope, hmm? Tennessee was out, was, was out, uh, they were without Gerald Mincy too. They're starting left tackle. And it still oh, didn't even necessarily make that big of a difference in that game. And Tillman. Yeah. So, yeah. Point being, LSU's offensive line is bad. Um, their defensive line's great. So, this is just such a fun game. I'm so excited for this game. 20 to 19. Let's see it. Let's see it. Okay. Stop saying 2019. You're making me sad. <laughs> Sorry. Lock of the week. We're going to get uh, over 500. That's, that's happening this week. We got back to 500 for the first time all year. Thank you, Ohio State. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do something dumb and I'm going to deviate from my pick teams I had in the playoff strategy that's been working for me. Iowa State is a 16 and a half point underdog at Texas. Ooh. Interesting, right? Mm-hmm. Texas obviously coming off of the, the beatdown of Oklahoma, which we'll talk about a little bit with Katie George, who was on the call with Joe Tess and Greg McElroy for that one. You might look at Iowa State and think, Texas playing super well. Surely they're going to roll past an Iowa State team that's 0-3 in conference play. Not so fast. Matt Campbell's team lost to Baylor by a touchdown. They lost at Juggernaut Kansas by three. Mm -hmm. And then they lost at home against Kansas State by one. Three losses, 11 points. Defensive struggles, these have been so far for them. They're basically like the Mizzou of the Big 12, which I realize is ironic. (laughs) Matt Campbell's last three games against Texas. They won 30 to 7 last year. They won 23 to 20 at Texas in 2020. And then they won 23 to 21 against Texas in 2019. They have three consecutive wins against the Longhorns. Iowa State has the number eight defense in America, but that gets lost in the shuffle when you're a three-loss team. They did look really good against Iowa's offense. So we know that means a whole lot, of course. <laughs> You just I play think, Iowa. You'll find yourself in the top five. You'll yeah, somehow give up negative yardage. <laughs> yeah, somehow, some way. Iowa's good at vaulting teams like that. Maybe a little bit tricky for, for Quinn Ewers after he gets uh, his first big win. I can see that happening. You know, a little, mm-hmm. little bit of a comeback to earth type game. And I'm not saying that Texas loses, but 16 and a half feels like a lot. I think Iowa State covers in his – if I was doing my, my super dog pick on college game day, which – I'm glad that that our guy Bear is in, is enforcing that they've got to be it's got to be more than three point spread. Uh-huh. Yeah, people that are trying to take less than that. No, 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 no. To Ken Bimatumbo, get that out of here. We, mm-hmm. we don't need that. Got to be more than that at least. I think it should be at least seven if we're going to call it super dog. But super dog, yeah, yeah. But whatever. That's what I'm going with. Okay, let's kick it to Katie George. Um, like I said, she's been on the call for some wild SEC games this year. Uh, great to chat with her about that, how she's been able to, to get so, to get into such an enviable spot so quickly, uh, during her time at ESPN. So here's Katie. I'm now excited to be joined by a very special guest, a first time guest. It is Katie George. Katie, I owe you an apology. Um, when we talked last week, I do. Um, so when we talked last week, I said that your crew, uh, which you, McElroy, and, and Joe Tess, of course, I said that you guys have had a bunch of thrillers so far this year. And then 
Oklahoma, Texas happened. <laughs> so if at any moment at a second half, yeah, of that you game, jinxed us. I did. You jinxed us. That's the problem. You and Chris Button, Chris Button, I was chatting with. She was like, "How do you guys keep getting great games?" And I was like, "Well, there's something called the test effect, and boy, did we have no effect on uh, the Red River shoot- showdown." None, none whatsoever. And I was going to say that I'm, I'm more powerful than the test effect, which I didn't think would could happen, but here we are. I mean, the game itself, it, it did look like an awesome moment for, for Texas to be able to, to, to kind of document that given what they've gone through in recent memory where Quinn Ewers comes back and the way that he returned, I mean, he looked incredible. When you talk to, to Texas staff during the production meetings, the stuff that's kind of kept under wraps, did you get a sense that they kind of saw this coming? Because I picked the guy to win the Heisman this year, and I didn't think there was any world in which he would look that good against a Brent Venables defense. Yeah, I think that they knew that they had something special in him uh, when he arrived. And obviously, they they went after him. And they they wanted to get a veteran, experienced quarterback in the room. And they got that in Davis Bevel just to kind of have that. Now, obviously, on the field production, that didn't go very well having to turn to him. I'm sorry. I'm getting them confused at this point. I'm so focused on Oklahoma at this point and the calamity that was. <laughs> um, Hudson Card, I'm sorry, did an excellent job, I think, stepping in for um, you know Quinn when he was out. But I think they thought that they had something really special in Quinn when they went out and got him. I just don't think that they knew it was going to be as efficient as quickly as possible. And they've got so many weapons. I mean when you look top to bottom, B. John Robinson is obviously incredible and he was a known, but JT Sanders has really emerged as a, a true power um, in the passing game as a tight end. And Sark even said like, if we've got the quarterback and we've got a good tight end, that's what makes my offense work. And so I feel like they've really found a great quarterback and, you know, look at how young he is, right? I mean, he's still got a ton of time and then you've got Arch coming in, um, which obviously that has a lot of hype around it. But I think for Sark, he's a brilliant offensive mind. And so if he got the pieces that he needed, it was going to be able to work and quickly at that. And I just think that, you know, last year had its growing pains. It's like any first coach, first year coach that you see. They inherit a roster that doesn't necessarily fit exactly what they want to do. And there's growing pains with that. And obviously the way that Texas finished last season was certainly a struggle, but I felt like getting Quinn was, was massive. Um, and, and obviously it showed and just think like, had he not gotten just obliterated by Dallas Turner in the Alabama game, you know, we could be talking about this Texas team as a top 10 team. If their only loss was to, you know, Alabama at that point. Yeah. I I want the sliding doors of that. I I need to see that matchup again. That's going to have so much hype and build up for next year. But yeah, I've been, I would say for for this entire off season, we can't judge first year coaches. It's going to be really difficult not to. And even somebody like Venables who just got whipped (laughs) six ways to Sunday in that game. It's like, well, we, there are just so many circumstances that are kind of outside of their control. These are control freaks. You guys have basically had all SEC games with the exception of that, if I'm not mistaken, right? Like you guys right. pretty much just yeah. been, and that's, that's a future SEC game. It is, which was kind of nice. Cause we were joking around like, Oh, they've gotten us out of the SEC. And then I was like, well, <laughs> it's going to be the SEC in a couple of years. Um, but yeah, you know, Brent Venables and his staff, it was interesting meeting with them. I felt like they felt a little bit tighter going mm. into that game. Um, obviously they're working through some things. I feel like a lot of those players feel scorched and scorned, you know, after Lincoln Riley left. Um, and, and they feel some type of way about that. And rightfully so, like you committed to a coach, you committed to a vision. And then, you know, obviously that's changed overnight. And so I, I think that they're working through some things at Oklahoma. I just didn't expect it to be that bad. 
per se in the game against Texas. I mean, when's the last time? I think it was like 1965 that either one of them had shut the other out. Um, and obviously I had Davis Bevel top of mind just because I saw him lining up on the perimeter when they were dropping back into the wildcat time and time again. I just, what was frustrating to me was it felt like they were conceding a loss. Like they were, they weren't even taking deep shots. They weren't even trying like take a deep shot downfield. And if it results in an interception or if it doesn't work out, so be it. But by not trying to take a shot, not being aggressive for that matter, you're going to lose no matter what. And it just felt like that, you know, they didn't really go for it in the second half in particular. Did you think that was a byproduct of Dylan Gabriel being a little bit banged up or like we throw around the Q word, we throw around quit. I mean, that there, there's a lot to be said for that. And it's different for us to be able to watch this on TV and we can look at a result and we can play the result. That's what we always do. But when you're on the sideline and, and you see that, how different is that? And did you get any sort of sense? Oklahoma might be quitting right now. Yeah, I think basically by the second half, I felt like you could see the demeanor really changing. I mean, when it was 21 to nothing, obviously they were still trying to work through some things. And then I think at half it was 28 nothing. And and obviously that is a, a massive lead. Second half, you could tell that the wide receivers were really frustrated and, and rightfully so. I mean, they're not even Marvin Mims is a great wide receiver. I mean, they've got some talent in that room. They're not even getting a chance or an opportunity to have an impact. And it was unfortunate. Obviously, Davis Bevel didn't you know, throw the ball all that well. And there, there wasn't a lot of success finding in the past game. So I think there was a lot of frustration, certainly, that you could see. But you can't just blame it all on the offense. I mean, Texas put up 49 points. Uh, and so what was you know, kind of eye-opening is Brent Venables is such a, a defense-oriented guy. And, you know, but you might not have the right personnel. You might not have a James Skowski. Okay, fine. But you can teach effort and you can control the controllables, right? And and they weren't tackling well. They weren't running to the ball as well as I thought. Maybe they were trying in the first half. I don't know. It just was kind of an eye-opening experience and something that I didn't quite expect to that degree. I think a lot of people were expecting to see some duds like that from LSU. And to LSU's credit, really, Tennessee was the first dud that we've kind of seen from them. You you were joking before we came on. You're basically the Tennessee reporter – or not Tennessee reporter, the LSU reporter at this yeah. point because you guys will have them for the fourth time this year. And what they have done, with the exception of last Saturday, is just find a way to kind of come back in these games. Brian Kelly came out at halftime of the Florida State game the season opener, and he told you, I don't think we can play any worse than that. And people kind of laughed, and they're like, well, hey, he's right. He's not wrong. What have you seen, though, from LSU on the sidelines in the second half of these games that just kind of speaks to the way that they've mostly been able to fight back? I think for starters, it's adjustment-oriented. I think that there are good coaches on that staff. And so, obviously, things didn't go well, you know, the last time we had them on the first half against Auburn. Now, Auburn, you know, had some self-inflicted wounds that allowed LSU to gain momentum going into halftime. But I think, number one, both coordinators that he have he brought down to Baton Rouge with them make really good in-game adjustments. And I do feel like that – you know, now they're kind of pushing and working together. They're fighting for each other. They're fighting for LSU. Um, you know, he said when we first took over, he was like, I could tell that they were fighters, but they didn't know what they were fighting for. They had kind of lost their way. And now we're trying to kind of bring them all onto, you know, all together, get them on the same page to know that you're fighting for one another. You're fighting certainly for wins, but you're fighting for LSU. And he said, I think kind of like channeling that. He was like, that's kind of heady stuff, but he was like, it matters if you don't know what you're fighting for. 
And so I feel like obviously we've talked a lot with him about, you know, building the right habits, building a winning culture. And, you know, obviously, you know, LSU, I think dropped off, you know, pretty significantly in terms of what they were doing culture wise and habit wise after they won in 2019. But, but he too is trying to work with a roster that certainly has tons of talent on it. There's no denying that, but he's working with a roster that I don't think he's you know used to having. He doesn't have certain positions, skilled positions that he needs, right? Like the offensive line has been different every single game that he has played in. And he's doing that in the SEC, which we know how important that unit is to find success in the SEC. And again, I think it's going to be different this weekend at Florida because you had Dellinger, get hurt obviously will Campbell, Campbell you don't yeah. know his status at this point um after i think it was dehydration mm-hmm. that forced him to go to the hospital which is kind of wild um you know Brian Kelly's used to having an incredible offensive line Brian Kelly's also used to having a tight end that can be so disruptive so you know i think obviously he's going to get there but it takes time to recruit it takes time to build you know your, your roster the way that you want it um but i, I do i do feel like LSU has been surprising um, and the way that they've done, you know, so far, I mean, you think about it, other than Tennessee, they could have beat FSU week one in New Orleans. I mean, you're talking about what would they, what are they four and two right now? You're talking about a five and one team. Had they beat FSU? Like that's significantly uh, impressive for somebody coming in, you know, first time head coach. I think this will be a very good test against Florida because both teams, I still think are kind of finding their way, finding their identity especially on the offensive side. I think LSU's, you know, wide receiver core and pass game hasn't been, um, you know, maybe as good as they thought it could be with some of the personnel that they had. Um, but I think those two teams are trying to find their identity and, you know, five and two versus four, four and three is, is significantly different in terms of the way that we view those teams moving forward. I, if I were in your spot, the only thing I would be looking at, and this is why I'm not, I, I can't do your job, is the entire time I would just be watching Jaden Daniels and Keishon Booty and being like, what, what's their conversations? What's their interactions like? Because the cameras caught them in that opener against Florida State, that interaction that they had. But it seems like it's been up and down with them and they just can't get on the same page. And so frustrating because you love the mindset from Jaden Daniels, right? Like you love the fact that you have a guy who's willing to admit Look, I, we need to have a players only meeting. I need to be able to trust these guys. But then you and you, and you love the way that he fights back, but then you see that he just doesn't have these trust the, the, this trust in his receivers and it's so frustrating to watch this talent kind of go to waste. Have you seen those dynamics play out on, on their sideline where it just kind of seems like those guys are kind of constantly working to still figure things out? Yeah, they are. And, and, you know, it's funny because they've done so much, I think, to work at it. Like to your point, you know, Jaden Daniels had the player um, only meeting with his wide receivers. You know, in the offseason, he took a group of wide receivers out to California to visit his home and and to build that chemistry, build that bond. And I do think that he's got a really good connection uh, at times with Malik neighbors. I think that the two of them seem to be, I think the best in terms of their connection. Um, uh, Malik neighbors actually is somebody that Mike Denbrock said, you know, is our, is now our go-to obviously you, you see that Kayshawn hasn't really been um, relevant and there's been so many drops, which is uncharacteristic for a guy that, you know, coming into the season, we were all very high on and you know, discussing first round talent. And I think that it's in there. It's just, he hasn't played very well. And I don't know if that's, you know, all on him, if that's a product of Jaden. I think Jaden has done a nice job. I mean, from where he came from Arizona State to the the offensive system that they're they've put him in, like he's 
easily visibly progressed with every single game that he's played. Obviously the factor with his feet certainly helps, but you're right. I just feel like the connection at this point, what are we in week seven? Like at this point you should have a really strong connection, not just with one wide receiver, but multiple wide receivers. And, and it feels like they're still trying to work through that. And, you know, I do see Jaden not being vocal. He's not like a raw, raw guy by any means. That's just not his personality. He's super laid back. Um, sometimes Mike Denbrook has to like kind of give him a kick in the butt to like be a little bit more urgent, um, which I could understand, but he's more one-on-one oriented. So he goes and he'll sit next to a guy or he'll just pull somebody aside on the sidelines. And, you know, he and that wide receiver will have a conversation. So I think he, he tries to lead by making it personal. And, you know, he and Kayshawn had like a 35 second, I sat there and I was like timing it 35 <laughs> second conversation, you know, on the sidelines at Auburn. And I thought, okay, you know, they're, they're clearly trying to work through something, you know, obviously let's see if it, you know, translates to the field. And, you know, sadly it, it really didn't. It's almost like a couple that's, that's fighting, you know, that you're just trying to figure out what, what do we got to do to make this work? You know, we got to, we got to talk through this. We got to figure this out because we know that the potential is absolutely there, but it's like Keishon is surprised when he gets the football. And I can't say that I blame him on some of these drops that he's had this year. Um, last year you were there for the Brian Kelly viral moment, Sunday night <laughs> season opener, Notre Dame, Florida state. He makes the joke about executing his team. And I rewatched the clip this morning. You kept a straight face the entire time. What went through your mind when he said that? Well, so people ask me this quite a bit. I kept a straight face because I didn't quite hear him. So I have obviously headphones in where, um, or my earbuds that I, I have my producer, you know, talking to me a lot of the time. And so he was telling me at that moment that we need to go get Jack Cohn after you rap with Kelly. So I was trying to kind of look around in my periphery. Oh, Jack's standing right there. So when I, I kind of checked back in and you, you obviously should never check out of the interview, but you know, sometimes as a sideline reporter, you're thinking about your next question and you're not listening to the answer. And, and so sometimes we miss on that. So I'm always, I try to be very present, but at that moment he was kind of talking to me. And then, so as I like kind of came back into the interview, I caught the tail end and I was like, and I unfortunately am uh, too young to have understood the historical reference. Same. Yeah. <laughs> luckily, most luckily, of us are. Uh, Joe Tess, you know, cleaned it up on the back end afterwards. And I mentioned McKay and I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. But when he said it, I was like, did he just, <laughs> did he say, did he say he wanted to execute? Did, no, I surely, I didn't hear that right. And so then I just kind of like moved on. And then when I got to the truck, the TV truck afterwards, everybody was like, oh my, God, you know, and I was like, oh, I didn't wait. So he did say that he didn't. <laughs> It was just kind of funny after the fact to kind of see, and a lot of people texted and tweeted and stuff. But um, again, like I thought that was kind of blown out of proportion. He's funny. Like, I think he's great in interviews. He always gives good information. You don't quite know what he's going to say. True. Um, so you have to be actively listening as I just went through that whole rant. Lane Kiffin is another one when you're interviewing, like you don't know exactly what you're going to get out of him. Obviously, Mike Leach. Um, so, so those kind of coaches, I think you have to kind of be on your toes a little bit just to make sure that like, you're ready to react based on whatever they give you. Okay. So then what would the follow-up have been? If you, if you hear that and you process that in the moment, sir, did you just say that you wanted to execute your team? I was laughing. Cause afterwards I was like, oh my gosh, I probably would have been fired had I said this, but <laughs> I would have, I would have wanted to know, well, what would your method of execution be? <laughs> like stoning, firing squad, like, I don't know. I, do, I would just want to know, like, 
what his method would have been, which obviously would have gotten me fired. So it's it's best that I had no reaction. Was that your first uh, game full time with that crew too? Because I know you had been with ACC Network, but with with that kind of spotlight with you know with Joe and with Greg, was that kind of your first with with that group? as well yeah with the full crew i had done a game the year prior and that was kind of coming off of covid no that was covid um yeah that was 2020 i had done a game i filled in for somebody for the georgia tech florida state game in tallahassee week one i had gone and done a miami game for acc network and then unfortunately i I needed to fill in for somebody so they brought me straight to tallahassee the morning of the game And so I didn't even meet Greg or Tess. I literally got to the stadium. They walked me straight out onto the field. We luckily were in a rain delay, which it ended up being a really long game. And I didn't meet them until after the game. We did the game. Yeah, it was so I was kind of just like thrown into the fire. And so I remember really enjoying their broadcast and, you know, getting to work with the two of them kind of from afar. And then obviously meeting them afterwards was great. But but that was the only time that I got to work with the two of them. And then last year I was lucky enough to be, you know, elevated to their crew and, and get to the full season with them. What was your first impression of, uh, of Tess? Because he has his announcer voice, but I'm always reminded, oh yeah, that's just how he talks. Oh yeah. It's, it's, it's the exact same. It's funny. Um, my husband came with me to the AAC championship last year. We did the Houston Cincinnati game and we all went out to dinner the night before and we got back to the hotel and Paolo, my husband was like, I, okay, like I thought, you know, he just talked that way on television. And he was like, we just had a three hour dinner and it's the same. And I was like, that's just, <laughs> he's the most authentic human being ever. And I, I love the intensity. I love the passion. Like the best thing about working with those two is they absolutely love what they do. And they hold everybody to a really high standard because they're so good at what they do. So for me, Obviously, I had that one-off game that was great to work with them and a good experience, but getting to be with them for the full season last year and now obviously this year, it's just helped me elevate as a broadcaster in what I do because they care so much and they work so hard. Like you as a team member, you want you never want to let them down. You want to be just as dialed in on broadcasts and, and do just as good of a job as they do. And so I feel like it's really helped me uh, grow as a broadcaster, young broadcaster. And, and just, you know, the two of them have been very great, very good mentors um, over the last year and a half. And I've been really lucky to work with both of them. Has McElroy made you try that uh, strawberry pretzel cream cheese crap, whatever it is that he eats on Thanksgiving? No, no he has not. Thankfully good. we good. were at the egg bowl last year. And so there was a lot of Thanksgiving like delicacies and conversations. And he's brought that up and we're all like, Dude, he's a dumpster though. I mean, he can just shovel it in. Oh, why? Life's too know. short to eat that. No, I yeah. I'll, I think I'll try anything once, but that mm, can't get on board. Not for just, you. No, no. <laughs> um, you've taken a pretty quick path to be able to to get to where you are, but you've also done a ton in the last uh, seven, I mean, 10 years, really. You, you, you were stud volleyball player at Louisville. Miss Kentucky USA 2015. You already covered the Bucks for Fox Sports Wisconsin, which great time to be able to do that with Giannis there, of yeah. course. Those games are incredible. You host Best Week Ever with, with my guy, Peter Burns, on ESPN Radio. Uh, have you slept in the last 10 years? <laughs> uh, no, they tell you that this is the, your working years, right? Like you got to work your butt off and say yes to everything. And I feel like I've, I've tried to do that. Um, 
you know, you can sleep in the summer. Summer's supposed to be kind of your downtime to rest and recharge before you get going into the football fall. But yeah, it's been a fun, it's been a fun, you know, 10 or so years going from, you know, playing at Louisville and gosh, I, I miss those days. I miss competing. It was so much fun. And, you know, I had a unique experience, you know, I played in three different conferences my freshman year. We were in the big East and then we went into the holding pattern in the American before we made the move to the ACC. And, you know, that was obviously just like so invaluable from like just a life experience to get to, to do that. And then, you know, I was pretty adamant early on, you know, I have two older brothers and I never got to win the remote in the living room. Like I never got to watch anything that I wanted to watch growing up. And so we always watched sports center and ESPN and college football games and just whatever sport was on. And so I was pretty young when I said I wanted to do this, um, which might've been a little naive because I didn't really ever have a backup plan of what I would have wanted to do had this not worked out. And, you know, I interned all through college at local television stations here in Louisville, which was also a huge help, just kind of eye-opening experience of what this life could be like and would be like. And so I did two years um, out of school at, at the Fox affiliate at WDRB here and covered all Louisville, all of Kentucky sports, um, which was awesome. And then, you know, the Bucks called and they needed a sideline reporter. And so I moved up to Milwaukee, which was so much fun. Like I look back at that. I was supposed to be there for a couple of years and, you know, the ACC network launched the following year. And so it just, it kind of made sense having played in the ACC and obviously it ACC network is a property of ESPN. And I just knew that there'd be avenues to kind of, you know, work your way up and get to do a bunch of different things. Like I absolutely loved covering just one team and being embedded with them um, but at the same time, I was just covering, you know, one team in the NBA, uh, for a regional network. And so I really wanted to be able to kind of branch out and showcase that, you know, I can do other things and, and, you know, the ACC network and ESPN kind of offered me that opportunity. And so I took that, I took that chance. Plus snow. I mean, it is cold as hell up there. Yeah. I like those people are gritty. Uh, you know, I moved up there, uh, in the middle of August. And so I thought, oh, we'll have like a beautiful fall. You know, it's right on the lake. By September, I went and bought a jacket at Lululemon because it was turning cold. Uh, by October, I called my parents and I said, this Lululemon jacket is like a sweater. Like I got it. And so we, I called them and they ordered me something and sent it up there. And it was one of those big parkas from head to toe that shows um, nothing but your eyes. Um, but yeah, it's. It's cold, but the people are great and they love their sports up there. It's uh it's it's kind of wild to think about the the different avenues that we can we can choose. And you know, if you decide, oh, I want to stay up here because I love to be able to cover an NBA championship, it's like, all right, well, your path is very, very different as opposed to seeing what you saw, which was there are avenues at ESPN and there are so many different places that you can go and you can work your way up into so many different opportunities. Where do you still want to go? Where do you where do you still want to be able to kind of have, have an opportunity, be able to kind of showcase, Hey, this is like, this has been my dream. This would be in addition to covering a national championship or something like that. Where yeah. do you kind of see yourself that, that path following? Yeah, it's a great question. And I still feel like I sometimes don't know how to answer it. You know, growing up, I always wanted to be on college game day. You know, that was kind of the, the pinnacle. Um, as you mentioned, I absolutely want to be on the national championship coverage in some capacity. I think that that would be, you know, definitely uh, a bucket list career moment. Uh, you know, I, I do still love the NBA. I, I love it from afar. 
you know, I'm trying to break in if I can at ESPN. So I, I think it would be awesome if I could go from college football coverage, you know, straight into the NBA season once I wrap, you know, at the beginning of January and and I'm on the sidelines for NBA. But, you know, as I look at it, I, I do eventually want to be able to cover the NFL. Um, but I think about that college football is just so awesome. Like there's just nothing like it. I like, I wake up on Sundays and when I do the show with Peter Burns and I'm just like, how did we get to witness all of that? You know, like just the wildness, the parody to a degree, um, you know, just the plays. And of course, like the NFL has moments like that. I just don't know. I think the pageantry of college football is, is so unique and the fan bases are, are so unique. Like a college fan is different to me than an NFL fan. So different. I, I, so different there. It's just very different. I don't know how to quite describe it, but um, I love nothing more than being on the sidelines in a live environment. And so I do want to be more versatile. I want to show that, you know, I can host, um, you know, I can do studio and and I've, I've done that to a degree, but there isn't anything quite like the adrenaline that you get from being in the moment at a game. And, you know, I, I still, I still get a high, from that. And I think that's the athlete in me, right? Like you, you miss being on the court or field yourself. And so that still, you know, gives it to me from a, a career standpoint in this industry. And so I've just, I've really loved it. Um, you know, I've gotten big into F1 as of late. Mm, Netflix. Um, yeah. Netflix uh, yeah. was the, the starting point. My husband was like, you know, you should, you should watch this during COVID. And I was like, you know, I don't like motorsports. Like I've never, you know, in Kentucky, like we have the Kentucky speedway, but I was like, I'm not into NASCAR. He's like, just give it a watch and see what you think. And I was all in. And so, you know, now I, I covered Miami, um, for the Miami grand prix and, you know, we've got Austin coming up next week that I'm going to go to. So I'm really excited about that. Um, I think it's going to be awesome. Do you hear that? I heard, was that a dog? I think they're trimming the trees outside. What, it's whatever very loud, it was. So I apologize. No, whatever it was, it, it just sounded like it sounded like a bark. That's that's. Can you standard. still hear it? No. Mm -mm. Okay, good. Oh, good. You're it's good. very loud in here. I'm like shielding the microphone. No, you're, you're good. <laughs> uh, it was actually uh, there was a right and a wrong answer to that question. The right answer was you just want to cover thirty egg bowls. That was that was it. That was what we were looking for. So next time. Yes. Next time. Sorry. Yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Covered one that was on my bucket list. And, you know, they say something. It's funny. I feel like every game that we get right, like the Egg Bowl was one. Um, Auburn LSU was another. Texas, Oklahoma, like Tess and Greg, because they've been doing this for so long. They, they always say this one's wonky, like something bizarre is going to happen. And I'm like, OK, again, we just had a production meeting for LSU, Florida, and they're like, this game is always weirdly close. It's like, it doesn't really matter if they're ranked, unranked. It's a one possession game by the fourth quarter. Like, and now obviously because of you, that didn't happen last week. But yes. I don't know what it is about the SEC, but it just bizarre things happen all the time. Well, we've already seen a, a shoe thrown in this game. I think we need to see a helmet thrown or, or something like that. Okay. We don't want anybody getting hurt, but just yeah. a large object flying through the fog. I think that's the only way that this game could actually be considered wonky because we've kind of seen it all at this point. So we have yeah. so wild. All right. This has been uh this has been absolutely awesome. I, I want to close with some rapid fire, just five okay. questions. First thing that comes to mind. Does that work? Yeah, of course. All right. Uh first one bourbon in Kentucky or spotted cow in Wisconsin? Bourbon in Kentucky. Spotted thought, cow is very good, but bourbon in Kentucky, no doubt. You thought about it. You did. I did think about it. Yeah. Best <laughs> college football venue you've experienced so far? 
Uh, Tuscaloosa, the cigar game between Tennessee and Alabama last year was pretty great. I will say a close second was Texas at Arkansas mm. uh, early on last season that ended in a field rush. That was awesome. When were you the most inter- most nervous to interview someone on camera? Nick Saban at the Egg Bowl. No, excuse me, not that at in Starkville. It was my first time interviewing him at halftime. I was I went over the question with Greg McElroy in the break like seven times. Wait, so last year when they were they won that game, what, 49 to nine or something? So that he was he was comfortable though. They were really first half. First half though. You know how they the halftime they're always on edge. Afterwards they they settle down. But in the at halftime, they're all doesn't matter the score, they're still on edge. Can I say something that I don't mean this as a slight to you or anybody yeah. that has to do this job? Those usually suck. They do. And it's impossible for them not to because they should be on edge. I would be on edge in that moment too. I always wonder in the in that moment, who are these four? And if we ever get anything of substance from them, I'll, I'll be surprised. But until then, it's like, there's nothing that you can say that's going to actually kind of calm them down and make them feel like they're going to give you a good answer in those moments. I would dread yeah, that. They, all they want to do is get to the locker room. Yeah. You know, and rightfully so. I don't blame them. So um, usually I just try to give them like a softball, just take it wherever you want, you know, rather than getting into the weeds. But I agree with you. It's it's often hard to get a good answer in that moment. Leach had a one word response in which I think he was walking the entire time, like did literally didn't even stop over the weekend. I'm like, what? what And he's happy. He's feeling good. He's up on Arkansas. This is not for anybody. We don't need this. We we can just go to break. I'm with you. Um, Okay, PB stash. Peter Burns, his stash or Quinn Ewers mullet, which one is more forgivable? Oh, absolutely. Quinn Ewers mullet is so much more forgivable and he rocks it. PB should never have that stash on his face. I can't believe Lauren allows it. It blows me away because she's so nice and understanding. She needs to draw the line on the stash. It's, it's not the worst stash that I've seen. It's not, it, it gets full. I mean, I'll give him that. Like it's not splotchy. But it's not good. It's not good. There's there's a reason why people have told him, hey, probably can't do this on air. We got to have a conversation every single time you do something like this. It's time. Yeah. Get that off your face. <laughs> uh, last one. As a Louisville grad, just say anything nice you want about Kentucky. Not this, not the state, the school. The school. Um, first off, Kentucky volleyball. Shout out to the volleyball team. They're phenomenal. Won a national championship two seasons ago. I do think because I covered Kentucky early on um, when I got out of school, that was when Mark Stoops, I felt like was kind of going through it and the fan base was somewhat turning on him. I think he's done an incredible job and I think he's a very good coach and I actually love covering Kentucky football. Now, I would have loved to have seen them beat Ole Miss in South Carolina, um, but obviously they made things a lot harder on themselves to this point, sadly. It's funny. People think like I hate Kentucky and, you know, I think you become numb to it as you cover these teams. Like, I don't care about the rivalries that I once had. I don't, you know, obviously I hope that Louisville does well, which they have not uh, in recent years in both you know, football and basketball. But I think at this point, you're so numb to that portion of it. You just root for people and stories. And, you know, that's all. I just want, you know, good people that I enjoy covering. I want them to do well. True. Oh, and you just missed being at school while Lamar was there, didn't you? I mean, he and I overlapped one year and then I covered him two and a half years out of it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so and then I actually um 
I don't know how well I did or not, but they hired me to do his media training when I was out of school. So I got to work with him individually and he's the best human being. I mean, what you see is what you get. And I, I just, I'm so elated for his success. And I hope the season goes well from a health standpoint, from a production standpoint, because if anybody can bet on themselves and, and do well, it's him. So uh, I took credit for having the blowout loss you should. that you guys had. I should. I'll take that L. You should take credit for the success that Lamar Jackson has had in his career because guys never put his foot in his mouth once, been an MVP. He's handled everything well, all because of media training that you gave him. Yeah, maybe. Maybe we can. Yeah, I'll take that. I'll take that. I thought you were for rapid fire going to ask me, uh, who's the starting quarterback for Texas and Oklahoma? <laughs> <laughs> As I started answering, I was like, wait, crimson, orange. Who are you talking about here? <laughs> so sorry. I apologize. I would never put somebody on the spot like that. I stick to mustaches and mullets. That's the only only thing that we're going to discuss. Those here. are the shows I listen to. You exactly. got a good product. <laughs> exactly. Katie, this has been great. I uh, really appreciate the time. Best of luck with everything the rest of the way. Hopefully nothing but thrillers from this point forward. Thank you. I appreciate that very much. Thanks for having me. What's my destiny, mom? You're going to have to figure that out for yourself. Life is a box of chocolates, Forrest. You never know what you're going to get. Figuring out, we're talking spooky season. Will, uh, you and Brittany, pretty big into Halloween, aren't you? Yes. Um, we finally, well, not finally, we lucked our way into the last 12-foot skeleton in Georgia. I don't know if you've heard about this, but there's this viral twin right, trend right now that Basically, the Home Depot is exclusively selling these 12 foot skeletons that like move Seems and everything. Big. Yeah. And I can show you a picture of it. I might post one in the group, but basically, it was pretty easy to assemble. But Brittany went to Home Depot, um, you know, start of the morning. And you guys know me, I like to give a good little coach speech. So I was like, hey, you know, that's why you want to get up early and, and hit your goals because you were the first person in Home Depot, saw an unattended skeleton that the order had been canceled. And so now we just have this giant 12 foot skeleton. And it's just honestly all we need. It's a centerpiece. That's it. No other decorations. Oh, I mean, we got, you know, we got the ghouls, we got some, you know, spiders, we got the spider web, but nothing innovative because people are just like, oh my gosh, look at that skeleton. <laughs> That's all my eyes would be drawn to. Exactly. Yeah. No, I, th I think you approach that correctly. We don't have decorations at our house. Um, wow. we're, I know, kind of weak. Uh, I don't know why we haven't really got into that yet. I'm going to blame it on the time of year, maybe. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. Um, we didn't have any trick-or-treaters at our house last year. Don't know how much of that is coming off of COVID and how mm -hmm. much of it is where we live. Maybe we just don't get a lot of foot traffic for trick-or-treaters. We have like 40 houses in our in our um, little like cul-de-sac-ish neighborhood. Um, so I, I don't know if that's got something to do with it, but whatever the case, we're still going to buy candy. I mean, we're still going to have it just in case. We're not going to be the people who aren't going to show up to their door. I right. That. That's the asset. Like, you're home. I know you're home. Come on. <laughs> give me some candy. We, we know the way that this works. We're going to get a ton of candy and then end up just eating all of it ourselves because win, win. that's what you do when you're an adult and it's Halloween and you don't have kids. Mm -hmm. If you live in Orlando, um, you basically have two months of seeing Hollywood Horror Nights commercials at Universal. Mm -hmm. we, we haven't done that yet, though. And I don't know if there's one specific reason. It might just be Lauren and I don't like being scared. <laughs> Simple as that. See, like that's very funny because <laughs> people that say I it. don't like people that say I don't like scary movies. I'm like, you know, I get it. Being scared isn't fun, is it? It sucks. By the way, when did everything become a horror movie? I, I, I don't get that. I 
We went to a movie last week, which we rarely do anymore just because of streaming, kind of like COVID took it out of you for a little bit. But I think six of the eight previews that we saw were for these stupid horror movies. And we weren't even seeing a horror movie. Like, who needs this? Who's asking for this? I don't need to see this nun turn into a devil for the 80th time. I don't. Have you seen seen all those promos for Smile at the baseball games? Started on that. Listen, I will say as like a marketing guy, I am in love with that. I think paying a couple, you know, what, $10,000 or something to be front row and pay the actor as well to just have them stare at a camera is so much more ROI than you would get putting that into a commercial. As a guy who makes commercials, I'm like, it is so genius because people are like retweeting it and it's free like marketing. I love that. I'm prob- I don't know if I'll see the movie, but I think that it's at least worth talking about. Yes. It, from that perspective, totally get it. Very much understand it. Why we need this sort of movie in our world and why people want to see that is beyond me. Yeah, as a passive baseball viewer, I understand the, uh, the what's it called, the, the gripe with that. Because if you're just trying to watch baseball and someone's staring at you with a huge smile, you're like, I didn't enjoy this. I didn't even sign up for this. This is a baseball game. The only thing that could have made me more mad with those Aaron Judge cut-ins if they had also cut in with a smile promo <laughs> as well. He's a smile person that every cut is. You're scared and you're watching baseball. <laughs> I would have thrown my remote at the TV. That would have been my, like of all the things, everybody's talked about, oh yeah, you know, you have your moments as a fan where you just get so upset and you just can't take it anymore that would have been it for me like, right this is stupid Let i'm me watch scared of watching the yankees i gotta watch over i hate this uh okay so quick story that i've i think i've told on these airwaves but yeah, we got new listeners to the show bear with me if you've heard this before when i was five we were living in skokie which is like 15 minutes away from northwestern suburbs of chicago mm-hmm. it was totally dark out during dinner like 5 36 o'clock Uh, that's fall central time zone that time of year. That's the way that works. It gets dark very, very early for whatever reason. I remember we were eating at, at a table in the living room, which we never did, but I think maybe my aunt was over. I I don't know. But all of a sudden we hear on our living room window, just this smack, smack, smack. And I was terrified. Absolutely terrified. Not gunshots, but when you're five, you don't, you don't know. I mean, you're just freaking out. Mm -hmm. Teenagers were pelting our house with eggs. And I'll, I'll, so I'll never forget this and hearing these eggs just smacking us. I, I don't know why I'll, I'll never forget like what that sound was, but it just scared the crap out of me. So my dad, he flips this switch that was unlike anything I've ever seen sprints out of our house and is on a war path chases down one of the kids all the way down our block, grabs him by the ear and brings him all the way back to our house, holding him by the ear until the cops showed up. No. You talk about putting the fear of God into everyone who witnesses that, including myself. I, like, it still it still makes me emotional just talking about this because unfortunately my dad is no longer with us. For me, I don't want to necessarily speak uh, for, for my brother, but I was so frightened in that moment. Like that was my ultimate Halloween scary experience because when you hear a foreign substance hitting your living room window and then you see your dad's instincts just kick in in that moment, like never a thought in his mind of, I wonder if I should do something. No, no, no. And I bet he said some choice words that I probably didn't know yet because I was five. Mm -hmm. But I was always after that moment, like my dad's got my back. Nobody is going to ever try and pull a fast one on him. That was a perspective change 
type day <laughs> in the O'Kara household because he ran. Oh my God. My dad ran a four, three forty. He did. And then to grab the kid by Will the Anderson, ear. Will Anderson chasing Gaines King. Oh, he beats Will Anderson side by side. <laughs> no doubt in my mind. It was incredible. But yeah, um, don't throw eggs at a stranger's house because there's probably a five-year-old in there who will be scared and they'll have a college football podcast where they'll talk about it 27 years later. You know, that's such a, a great dad move because it does two things, like you said, but does three things, really. It makes you feel really confident in your dad that he can protect you, yes. number one. Number two, it scares the crap out of those kids and they're never going to mess with him again. Number three, in the back of your mind, you're like, I probably don't want to mess with my dad after that because no. he can... <laughs> You grab me by the ear. <laughs> I'm I'm thinking of of a like you know if we have kids one day of like a tones what my tone setter is gonna be. <laughs> you gotta have a tone setter. <laughs> yeah, but it's gonna be so random and so forced and so cringe and it's gonna end up being like dad like come on let's let's it's 2035 let's let's chill all right we don't nobody throws punches anymore dad what are you doing nobody yells nobody exclaims loudly okay let's, let's take it down a notch they're not gonna be impressed at all. I just walked out with a Northwestern jersey on and tackled the mailman. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> That's another story for another time. That's the only thing what? that can get me totally upset. What? Anyway. No, no. There's there's no actual story. There's a developing story that I'm going to wait. I'll save on the podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, we talked about it off air. Uh, okay, let's go to the Saturday Down South Podcast Facebook group here. A lot of great responses here. I asked the questions. At what age did you stop trick-or-treating? I think it was like 12, maybe? Like 12, 13, something like that. Yeah. Um, do you decorate your home? Haunted houses, yeah or nah. The goat Halloween candy is, let you fill in the blank. And then any mm-hmm. sort of Halloween horror stories, uh, take that in whatever direction you would like to. Peyton White says, uh, stop trick-or-treating when I was 13, when a lady told me I was too old to be trick-or-treating while I took her candy. Yep. Um, hell nah to the uh, haunted houses. Or wait, no, did I, I did the wrong one? Oh, no, 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 no. Doesn't decorate his home. Doesn't decorate his home. And mm-hmm. then does go to haunted houses, Netherworld, and Billiam? I don't know. That's that me. Is. Yeah. Is that we went that? to Netherworld, which is a, a scary haunted house. And Peyton's my lifting buddy. And so having him in the front of the haunted house line was tremendous. He's like an ex army guy. He's the one I got in the car wreck with. He's oh. the, uh, the the ultimate foxhole guy. And so having him at the front, they were just like, Are you touching this guy? Are you scared? I'm not scared of his wife. I'm not scared of his buddy. I'm not scared. <laughs> If, if you're in that spot and you're one of these people that is dressed up at a, at a haunted house or something like that, you're assuming at some point you're getting punched. Yep. You have to be mentally prepared for that. <laughs> Someone is just going to react out of instincts and punch you in the face. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be up to you to decide how you react to that. Yep. I wouldn't want to mess with him either then based on what you said. Yes. Um, Peyton also says Snickers, no real debate. If you like candy corn, please escort yourself to Auburn. <laughs> Those two Auburn things do fit day. weirdly, you know. Like, anyway. It's the orange. It's all the orange. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I want general distaste from anyway. <laughs> yeah, they're a very acquired taste. No, I think I think Auburn's a great place with. A great no, place. I love Auburn fans. I love yes. the city of Auburn. I love everything about Auburn. I'm talking about Auburn football. To be fair, uh, okay. that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. Uh, and then adds, I once ate at a Stevie B's the day before going out to trick or treat. I ended up uh, in a Walmart with food poisoning. Oh boy, oh. chucked in the uh, the Hallmark card aisle and did an unremarkable, uh, unthinkable things to their restroom. I still feel for the employee that had to clean that uh, that day. 
I don't really know how much. Oh, before going out to trick or treat. Oh, that sucks. Then so then you can't trick or treat if you're if you got food poisoning. Yeah. Terrible time for On food the poisoning. IR. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Holidays are a very bad time to get sick. When Lauren got sick, she got the flu during Christmas a couple of years ago. And I thought, oh, no. you, you just don't get Christmas this year. Yeah. This is terrible. Especially if you're contagious. That's rough. Yeah. She just had to go like set up shop. And and, and, and it was, we were at her parents' house because we'd flown into Indy. And mm-hmm. she just had to go set up shop in there. And it was just like, oh, yeah, I see in three days. Okay. This was not great. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nick Ruark says, I don't remember when I quit trick-or-treating, but I would say around age 12, we decorate, but not very much. Haunted houses are fun to go with friends and significant others. Twix is the best candy uh, and candy corn is the worst. Right. Twix is top three, top four, (laughs) right? You're never going to be disappointed with a Twix ever. Is it the first thing you get? When you were a kid and you went to the grocery store and your mom said to you, if you just shut up while I go grocery shopping and you get one candy, right? You get mm-hmm. one candy. Twix is up there. Snickers, Reese's. Mm-hmm. I had a Starburst phase for a while. If you want to go with the fruit direction, oh, it's man. up there. You, if Twix is your backup plan, that's fine. First choice. Mm, I'm not quite on board with that. Yeah, I, I totally echo that. I would I would choose Reese's for a Halloween candy. For me, like the Nutty Bars or the Nutty Buddies, whatever they're called, are my favorite, but those aren't Halloween candy. They're too big. But I would say because if there's similarity to those, that's why I like Twix, but I'd still put them like like third, fourth, like tier high tier two, like, you know, CJ McCollum level. <laughs> Were you, would you would be one of those kids that would trade for Halloween candy? Like if you went oh, with your friends? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I would just house 20 Reese's and just trade them. Just be like, hey, I got some Snickers. I got some got some Twix. I got some whatever. Let's figure it out. I'm going to have all the Reese's. Let's let's work out a three for one here. <laughs> it's a conditional candy in future years. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Nick Ruark said, oh, no, we just did Nick's. Um, Chris Milan says, my last run was senior year of high school. That's pretty late. Uh, yeah, my wife is super into decorations. We have a couple animatronic things and zombie hands in the lawn. Those are terrifying. I always think those are real. Mm-hmm. Um, they're fun mostly. He's talking about haunted houses. Uh, near where I live, there is a haunted farm that does a new story slash theme each year, but it's all outdoors in a fairly big property, which is nice. Reese's cups all the way. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, nothing comes to mind for me for a Halloween horror story. I think I've only been to one maybe two true haunted houses and the outdoor ones kind of mess with you mm-hmm. in a different sort of way because it doesn't feel as staged like i went to one in a corn maze in indiana one time which i realized of, course that's pretty of course i did yeah that was like 10 years ago or something like that mm-hmm. but the the eeriness of being outside kind of got to me because you hear any sort of noise and you're like is that part of this is that part of this and it, i don't i don't know why but that that freaked me out more so because i I don't, I don't know why I'm, I'm, I'm the skeptic. I'm the person that's going to be like, all right, that's not real. That's not going to scare me. I know that there's going to be something around the corner that's going to put their hand on my shoulder and I'm going to want to punch them. Right. Um, but when it's in a corn maze, that different level, that, yeah. that scares me. They got one in Alabama called Atrox and uh, a true Alabama veterans will know this one. Because I think the scariest out of house I've ever been to got people with chainsaws wandering around this abandoned factory. It's a good time. I remember oh. having to drive like, you know, two hours from Birmingham to get there. We would all pile out of the car, the waiting line for another hour and a half. And then just get the brake scared off of us for an hour. And just be like, ah, until we walked out. The factory stuff. Ooh. Yeah. No, 
no, can't do that either. Don't need to. Uh, not not at that point in my life. Lauren Jefford says, uh, at what age did she did she stop trick or treating? Maybe seventh grade. Uh, does not decorate her home. Haunted houses, absolutely not. Hate being scared. Yes, Hocus Pocus, the original, not Hocus Pocus two, mm-hmm. uh, is about as scary as I will go movie wise. <laughs> the goat Halloween candy is anything king size. Facts. I have a take on this. The king size candy hunt, if you will. Nobody gives out king size candy bars. Mm-hmm. It's a myth. It is something that we are told we should aspire to obtain and it doesn't actually exist. And you can tell me, oh, I went through this one neighborhood one time. I'm skeptical. I'm skeptical. I'm convinced that your mom bought some king size candy bars and she replaced that with the original and she just said, hey, I need whatever I can to get you out of the house for two hours. I'm going to replace this and think that this is some some rainbow that you're chasing. <laughs> I, I am a king size candy bar on Halloween truther. And it's definitely related to the fact that I never got one and I'm very bitter. Connor, you just, listen, we could link this up right now. You said that you don't know if kids are going to come to your house. So what you do is you buy some king size Halloween candy. And then if like five kids show up, you get to be that mythical house. But if they don't, you have a house full of king size candy. <laughs> True. You're right. But if I do that, I am guaranteeing that. Now you're the house with the king size candy bars. And next year, there'll be a hundred of them. That's, yeah. Nobody's going to show up though. If I do that, I'm going to try, I'm going to try and force the action. And I, I'm going to have, I'm going to have four different king size candy bars ready to go. And mm-hmm. I guarantee you not a single kid will show up. Just then, hey, bubble. then you did your best. That's what I'm saying. You could, you could sleep at night knowing you were that mythical house. You were ready. You know, it's fair. That's fair. Did you ever get a king size candy bar? Trick or I'm trying to think. I you would remember. Wanted... See? <sighs> yeah, no, you're right. There, It's always, oh, somebody else tells you about this king size mm-hmm. candy bar. No. Shut up, Andrew. Nobody likes a fibber. All right, Andrew. Yeah. yeah. So quit bragging about your Halloween candy. Um, all right. So let's end with uh we got a good one here. Michael Darkie. Michael Dark. Wow. I haven't I haven't Every said Darkie in a long time. E. Yeah. I haven't said that in a while. Sorry, Michael. Uh, Michael's got a, a picture in here of his decorations. A lot of stuff. Uh, oh, he got married on Halloween as well. Mm-hmm. Um, very interesting. Let's let's read this one from Michael. Michael says, stop trick-or-treating around 14 or 15 because had younger siblings uh, and cousins have a bunch of nightmare before Christmas cutouts that we put in the front yard. Won't go to haunted houses because I got thrown. <laughs> I got thrown out of the last one for decking one of the actors. See? Expect it. Yes. See? That's real. Mm-hmm. Um, Reese's are goaded, of course. of course. And my wife and I got married on Halloween. Uh, on the way to the wedding, my wife and my wife in the bridal party got pulled over. My mom hopped out of the car to yell at the cop that they were late for the wedding, and that resulted in the backup being called. Uh, they eventually were let go, and we've been happily married for almost fourteen years. Great sliding yeah, doors man. moment. What if yeah. you had? What if? What if you had been, you know, given a ticket, arrested, or something like that? Happily mm-hmm. married for 14 years. I don't know. That would have been an unstoppable album cover of getting arrested and like <laughs> <laughs> all time image. Oh yes. No, he, he rules Drew Page also said in there that he got married in Halloween. That's actually pretty cool. It's cool. You gotta get the girl to obviously be into it, but that's pretty cool. Wow. That's very that's very unique. And I feel like Halloween is always on a weekday. I could be wrong on that. I think it was was, was it on a Sunday last year. Might have been last uh Sunday. yeah, it's like what it's it's obviously it rotates, so you know. So, uh, 50, you know, five I know, out of seven. 
I know it does, but I also don't process how time works. And I just tell myself that it's Monday through Friday at some point. Yeah. Never. It's and never also seen. Halloween, it can get kind of awkward on certain days because like, do we trick or treat on this day or another day? I remember that growing up. It's like Halloween's on like a Thursday this year. We're all trick or treating on Friday. Yeah. And yeah. And when you're in college, it's like, oh, wait, if I'm going to three Halloween parties. Do I need three costumes? Can I just wear the one? I just yep. want to wear the one because I don't want to have to get two other ones and do effort and all that stuff. But yeah, Halloween's fun. Looking forward to it. I'm going to say this really quick. We've told a lot of very like wild holiday stories with my mom. Here's my mom's Halloween story. So uh, what she did growing up, we would, we ended up scaring kids starting in like seventh grade. We would dress up and like be like little mannequins and jump out at them. My mom's thing, her sickos move. She has this animatronic ghoul that like crawls along the ground. What she would do is just open her door and let it go. And sometimes, you know, come back at some point. But it would just wander around our neighborhood for like five hours and just pull itself along the ground and have little wheels. And we would just hear kids screaming. Uh- <laughs> wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> I have so many questions. I have so many questions. She would set it loose like it was a Roomba or yep. something. Yes, exactly like a Roomba. Great comparison. And just let that sucker go. And whatever yes. carnage that thing caught, co- whatever kid, it. there are kids that remember that thing. Oh, yeah. And they don't know where it came from because it was five streets over because, yeah, that thing was it's amazing that that it didn't (laughs) get punted at some point that somebody didn't try and kick it. Mm -hmm. But when you're terrified, I guess maybe that's unless you're my dad, you don't think violence immediately (laughs) beat up the ghoul. Yeah, I think my mom has given me the ghoul and I have not released it, which lets you let you know what kind of what kind of a sicko my mom is, because we use that in the college football sense. But like because she literally would now that I know my neighbors and I'm like, so this could get back to somebody if I scare their kids. My mom's like, nah, what are they going to do? They're just the (laughs) H.O. That was the fact that the fact that that exists just terrifies me. Now I'm going to be on the lookout for for, ghoul. for ghouls, for, for wandering ghouls in the middle of the neighborhood that I have no explanation for. They're just hanging out. Mm-hmm. Goodness gracious, Will, your mom is a legend. Yes. All right, lad of the week. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, you want me to start? Yeah, go for it, man. All right, I got Mike Hart, the former Michigan running back, current Michigan assistant. Had a seizure in the middle of the game at Indiana mm-hmm. last Saturday. Very scary moment. He got carted off the field. That guy is Michigan royalty. Good update. Fortunately, he released a statement saying that he's trending in the right direction. He's going to be rejoining the team soon. He is back in Ann Arbor. Love to see that. He's coaching one of the best running backs in America right now. Blake Corum is a beast. Having an All-America type season. Hopefully, he is able to get his position coach back. But just one of those scary things because – a lot of people who watch college football are old enough to remember watching Mike Hart play and look really, really good. I mean, over 5,000 mm-hmm. rushing yards in his career and was one of the best big time running backs ever, um, which there are ICC fans that just scoffed at that for sure. Is <laughs> it all oh, better than Ron Dane or something? Um, it, he was very good. He was very one good. One of the best. Yeah. Big weekend for Michigan though, hosting, hosting Penn state, but glad to see that Mike Hart is, is doing, doing well after just a, a very unfortunate, scary situation. I hate to see anything like that happen. Yes. So, uh, and then like you said, prayers to him, like obviously it's bigger than a game sometimes. And hopefully, you know, he's, he's, uh, that makes out of it okay. And we saw it. We've seen that a little bit with coaches lately, but you know, I was, so, someone else actually had like a, a collapse. Like we were watching a game and I was like, well, if you think about it on a college football sideline, one of the better places that can happen because you're surrounded by medical Good personnel. Point. So like that's, but that hopefully gets um, healthy and everything. I had 
Um, a, I had one, but then I messaged you like right before we recorded. I was like, aha, now I have two. So I don't know if you guys have seen this, but Randy Johnson is now a sideline photographer. Um, and there's a, I saw the original image, which just made me happy. Now it's an image of, um, Randy Johnson, the famous pitcher, obviously that hit the bird and everything. One of the, you know, hall of famer, world series champ, all that, you know, one of our favorite players, you know, if you're a baseball guy and, you know, I, he's carrying $20,000 worth of gear first off. So this guy dug in and he dug in hard and he got, and one of them is a, a Canon 1D um, first gen, which is uh, uh, the, the the state of the art camera when it came out, right? And now you kind of get it like used. So what that shows me is that he's a, he's a lover of the craft, all right? He didn't just go out and buy the shiniest new thing. He bought the tried and true, you know what I'm saying? It's like seeing like a, you know, like a really like classic, like a Star Wars VHS. It's like, oh, that's so rad. And then when I, when I made him loud of the week was I saw his logo. Connor, it is an upside down dead bird. Oh my gosh. He leaned into it that much. That's I sent that to you, dude. His, his photography I, logo. I did not see the logo. Bird. I looked at the fact that we're talking about <laughs> Randy Johnson as a photographer, which when I saw that, I was like, surely that's a doppelganger. He's no, no, that's both. the Randy Johnson. He's like seven feet tall. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and they put, they put under it. They were like, Oh yeah. Like here's his website. Here's, here's his logo. And it's literally just Randy Johnson photography. He, like I said, he's the one who hit the bird with the fastball. And, and so like, oh it's just gosh. super funny. So it's yeah. It's always like his, his logo. So again, lad of the week. We love post retirement guys that have like hobbies and stuff. Um, very different tone from my main lad of the week though. Um, Brian Robinson Jr., Hi. former Alabama, former Alabama running back. Um, he had one of the coolest entrances to a game I've ever seen. We've seen like some really cool entrances, exit celebrations lately, but this this one takes the cake. Um, so obviously he was um shot twice in a home invasion. Uh, he's now playing with the Washington Commanders. Um and he basically missed his rookie debut um, because he had been, you know, you know, coming back from that injury. And he walked out to many men by 50 cent. That's all time. That's the coolest thing I've ever seen. If you guys are, you know, haven't heard that song, you know, many men wish death upon me. And like, it's just so cool. Cause it's like, bro, someone tried to kill him. And now he is like playing in the NFL. Of course, I'm trying to be what I'm destined to be. And it's like super, like, you just see him walking out with like, that was like his personal video guy that like released that. And it's just super cool to watch him walk onto the field after going through all that, all that adversity. And it's like, yeah, like, you know, you're put here, you know, some people believe they're put here for a purpose. And it's like, if you are good enough to make the NFL, especially as a running back, and, and if you, you know, do all that, and then, you know, you could be, you know, you know, injured or, 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 or taken out of the game in your prime and you come all the way back, you know, not even halfway through the NFL season. It's like, oh my gosh, that's so awesome. So great to see him healthy. So just two lads of the week for very different reasons. Um, that just, I, I've been so pro Alabama lately, man. I need the <laughs> I'm, I'm getting, I'm warming up. I'm doing the. Did that replace the Joe Burrow senior day entrance as oh, like the coolest man. entrance? It, it's up there. I'm not. Uh, I mean, dude, it has circumstances. to. It has to because he survived two gunshots. Like at the end of the day, I will take. I, listen, that's and a Burrow record song for it. Yeah. Like the whole like, man, man, wish death upon me. He's out there celebrating with his teammates. It's like, ah, I lived. Like, yes. I love that so much. Very easy, guy. Very easy guy to root for, Brian Robinson. Hope he has nothing but success, and not just because he's on my fantasy team. Nobody cares about my fantasy team, but you know that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Uh, yes, but great choices. And Randy Johnson, too. I got a Randy Johnson shirt that I wear all the time. I got a Randy yeah. Johnson, King Griffey Jr. MLB Jam shirt that I wear. So, See that he's topical. a guy who transcends that sport. Like you just, I love watching the bitch because he was so the big unit, man. Big unit. The single, like if you could line up everybody who has ever come through Major League Baseball, I would rather face all of them instead of Randy Johnson. <laughs> yes. 
as a five so eight human who used to hit from the left side of the plate, Randy Johnson was my nightmare. No yeah. way. I, you couldn't have paid me all the money in the world to stand in on one. No way. Especially with that slider that he had to. He would probably throw a slider that would start off at my head and I would cry. <laughs> and it would be it would be like a strike on the outside corner. Yeah. That's oh. the thing too with the bird thing. It's like that's like the the perfect picture for that to happen. It was like, oh, this is what happens when you just take a fastball from Randy Johnson. You just implode. And everyone was like, Oh no. Yes. This that's the theme of the day of like, hey, this is what happens when, when you mess with somebody. This when you mess around and find out. Yep. You mess around and you find out. If you have not, leave us a five-star review, subscribe to this podcast, join the Facebook group here named Red on Air with Figuring Out or Bold and Brash. Thanks guys. Talk soon. Enjoy week seven.